0: OnX Hunt Elite is worth every penny. It really is. Every hunt, every planning session, every gear purchase, I was on it already today. With your Elite membership, you will get application and draw odd tools, exclusive pro deals on gear from the industry's best, exclusive mapping and scouting tools, and last but not least, access to nationwide coverage. And now Canada, OnX Hunt Elite will make you more successful on your next hunt. Try OnX Hunt free for seven days, or go Go to onxmaps.com hunt and use code MEATEATER for 20% off your new Elite membership.
1: This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal, and may lose value.
0: This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. The Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light. Go farther, stay longer. You know we haven't talked about it in forever. Giannis, you do. This isn't even a, This is not an ad. This is just like you, you do a pitch for the guidebooks. I feel like you're so, like we haven't talked about the guidebooks in so long. And there's a lot of people that don't realize that we have a 700-page volume one, volume two, complete guide to hunting, butchering, and cooking wild game. mm Hmm. Everybody's asking for them. Yeah. Well, but we should pitch them. Pretend like you're uh, doing yeah. an ad.
2: And that's like being put on the spot here on yeah, the try to, like, podcast. Try to wing
0: an ad for it.
2: Um, new to hunting, veteran hunter, somewhere in between. Guaranteed you'll find something to interesting to read in both volumes.
0: Yeah. That was our aim. No, it's 700 pages long. Yeah. There's no way you know. There's no, like, I don't care if you went and asked, uh, yeah, you go ask Daniel Boone. He's gonna know, not going to know all the shit in there because they didn't have tag draws back in Daniel Boone's day and it explains that stuff.
2: And I don't want to act like, uh, you or I also know everything that was put in that book. No, now, cause
0: no, I forgot a lot of what I wrote in that book.
2: Right. But we also had a lot of, of other veteran hunters oh, that are more experienced yeah. in, um, uh, certain subsets of hunting that, uh helped us out and wrote, you know, short pieces, some of them longer than others to, you know, to, uh, just so we could get a little more depth in places where we might not have had the yeah, expertise. experts from all yeah.
0: around the country weigh in on various subjects. We even call it that. So-and-so weighs in on various subjects. But it's se- when, we, when, we, when we finished the manuscript, it took years to do the books. We finished it. I brought it to my publisher. And she's like, books aren't this, you can't do a book this big can't have a 700 page book that's when we broke it into volume one and volume two volume one is big game volume two small game everything from squirrels on up to cranes and then you know volume one covers all north america's big game animals and it's got a bunch of cooking stuff sausage making i'm into big ass books you know those books you're i think you're cal you're in the books did you write the books uh
3: yeah, I was asked to. I'm not sure exactly what you guys use. Oh no no no, you're in it. Um, and your pictures
0: in it a bunch of times.
3: You guys should know though. Every time I recommend those, to you know I, I deal with a lot of a lot of beginners for sure. And and every time I recommend those, folks don't know they're out there. Yeah, which is amazing. And they always follow up. It's hundred percent rate. Like thank you so much. This <laughs> this is so helpful.
0: Now that's an ad. Yanni needs to take something from Cal's. Well, to that's a hobby. testimonial. I'm that's a testimonial.
2: You can I buy them on, I on Amazon. one. You've seen them? I
0: bought See, one our one. guest here who we haven't introduced yet, uh, Brad Brooks from the Wilderness Society. You read them. You
1: actually bought one. I bought one for my brother, yeah. thought he could learn how to hunt better. Did you look at it yourself? Of course, yeah. What was your first impression? Was it like, holy shit? There was a lot <laughs> to digest. Yes. It's so a dense. It's a dense book, but it was good. Beautifully uh, illustrated. Actually, you know what? There's a section on glassing that I thought was really useful for most folks. Like how to pick apart a landscape. You know, most folks don't know how to glass properly. No, they don't. So, um, and most people don't recognize that it's a thing you need to learn. Yeah, you don't just like go out and like throw up your binoculars and start seeing like big stuff, you know, right away. Yeah. So you're skill. not like,
0: oh, I need to learn. Like, no one's yeah. ever like, I need to learn how to find animals with my binoculars. You just think, like, I'll just start doing it. I'll just see them. Yeah. But it was like a thing. You got to, it's like, if, it's like if you're going to start, like, if I wanted totally. to start making my own socks, right? I'd have to, like, go and look that shit up on YouTube. It's like you should approach glassing yeah. like a thing you're going to learn.
1: Totally. Yeah. It was, like, it's like tips, it's an acquired and tricks, and, yeah. you know.
0: So did you buy this book for The
3: Brother That Kills? bigger stuff than yeah that one yeah well uh, no that's weird
0: you want him to get even just bigger stuff than you
1: you know i figure he's he's uh he might stumble across a big animal every once in a while but doesn't necessarily make him a better hunter
0: yeah so i
1: figure you know if we're gonna keep hunting together you need to learn a few things and like he doesn't want to listen to me all the time so i figure give him a book have him read it and then you know then he can decide if he wants to acquire that information or internalize it but yeah, you just tell him be like, I ghost wrote this book. <laughs> These people that say they to, wrote this book did not write this book. I need to clarify. Your, Your brother Cal Brad. just called me out right now. So this is my brother, Curtis, my older brother. He has shot bigger stuff than me. Not I, I'm going to claim right now, not because he's a better hunter, but because he has more discipline in waiting for and passing up animals, yeah. which is not a skill that I really have cared to acquire. So, but that
2: falls under being a better hunter.
1: No. No, absolutely, oh, not. Di- no. Discipl- absolutely not. The, the discipline
2: hunter. to wait?
1: So you have to want to wait, number one, right? Well, yeah, but that, that, wanna, I mean, that's
2: what makes a good well, hunter. That's
1: not, not what makes a good hunter. The you're what makes ability. a good hunter is passing
0: up animals.
2: Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. I thought you just meant like as in just the patience just to wait and hunt a whole day. No, you got nine God. days to hunt. He'll eat his tag. He'll eat his tag. You
0: got nine days to hunt. You're like, there's oh, a nice bull. I'm going to shoot that bull. Yeah. And your buddy's like, not me, man. I'm waiting for a giant. Yep. Yeah. And then he risks, you know, empty freezer syndrome. I misunderstood. Yeah, um, Cal. What? Uh, we're, we're gonna get to Brad, Brad. Brad. He's gonna. We'll get to him. We're gonna cover him thorough. But, uh, Cal, what's your story lately? Oh, I do you still a, have the unusual job title. I do. I have this extremely unusual job
3: title: the director of conservation and public relations at First Light. Uh,
0: so, so like, uh, is there a lot? Are there a lot of apparel companies that have
3: that role? I do not think so. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. certain certainly haven't run into anybody I, as far as I know. That's a very unique title. I think there's how, a lot of people doing what I do.
0: Yeah, but not with the name. Yeah. yeah. Well, how, and you're like, let's. You, I know you work more in this. But let's, just, let's just say, oh, it doesn't matter how many hours a week you work. How, like, what percentage of your time is spent on those issues?
3: Oh man, at, at this point, you know, we're so face forward on. Um, A lot of conservation issues but you know mainly uh the public lands uh situation that's going on right now that it it's a huge part of my job um because it it also falls into uh pr when i'm talking to lots of different writers and uh and into our marketing side of things because we use it throughout our digital marketing and and we're pushing the message, you know, I think that's one of the biggest values we, uh, we have for these conservation groups out there is we can use our platform to make sure people are at least aware of these
0: issues. So what I'm getting at though is in your work week, are you only like you're, you're paid by first light and, and the most of your work is directed towards conservation issues. Uh, certain times of the year yes so, oh, i see yep. yeah so stuff comes up
3: yep stuff comes up um you know it there, there's very few people out there doing what we do so it is uh, it, you know it's valuable for um you know writers that have written about the same stuff over and over again to look at things from a different angle because you know really in the hunting community it, it's always been very taboo to take a stance on anything.
0: Yeah, because you're always, you're afraid you're going to piss someone off.
3: Right. Yeah, and it's yeah. everybody uses like the, you know, it's a small pie, can't can't afford to cut anybody else or you know offend anybody or push anybody out of it because the industry is not that big. But it's just really
0: not the case.
3: And and like you've said in the past, man, you got to if you don't stand for anything, what do you stand for, right? Yeah, you a con- say it a little I bit. I think you're better. thinking of
0: a country a country and western <laughs> musician. You got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Who is oh, that? That's a good one. A top 10 country song at one point in time. When I was washing that dishes at... Town? I don't know, I was washing dishes at Steiner's Point, Twin Lake, Michigan, and it was a song on the radio. Yeah. I used to wash dishes on sometimes on weekends.
3: Yeah. I, I was in the dish pit quite a bit myself.
0: Oh, Yanni, God, it gets so greasy. The lower part of your t-shirt just gets ruined washing dishes <laughs> yeah. in a bar, man. The, I was in the bar and grill part of the bar, or like the it was like a It's like the kind of place where people go on a Friday night to get prime rib. Yeah, like that kind of place with a big boiled potato rath and like a baked potato rath uh, and aluminum foil.
3: Yeah,
2: that kind of joint. Yeah, that was my first job outside of working for my dad. Um, it was a place called Mi Ranchito, <laughs> and they did not have like a uh, like a Hobart with the drop down door that just runs like a minute cycle. No, no. It was three bins. Dishwashers today, they don't even know what a three-bin sink is, I don't think. No, and, dishwashers today uh, are pants. That panties. sucked.
0: <laughs> dishwashers today. Let me tell you about dishwashers <laughs> today.
3: Um. <laughs> yeah, three-bins. That, that was my whole deal. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just like be the, like the dip. Like super greasy from like the neck up, but just kind of soaked from the neck down and inexplicably dirty feeling by the time
0: you went yeah. home yeah my first job was running a hobart when i was 13 i was it wasn't even legal for me to have a job and i remember i was 13 because my brother danny who's two years older than me wasn't even able to drive yet and we would both ride on his honda moped on a spree to go to camp a summer camp my my area where i grew up was full of summer camps it was like very like rural and cabiny back then and one of the summer camps was camp pendleon and we'd go down there on his moped and we had to be there at 6 a.m. to do br- breakfast. We'd do breakfast, lunch, just washing dishes with a machine. And the we were younger than the damn campers because band camps that come in and the kids were older than we were. We'd mix Kool-Aid in a garbage can and stir it with a canoe paddle. <laughs> that was one of our responsibilities at Pendulumon. Um, Oh, man. Glad i, I'm not I doing, I'm glad Disney's. I'm not doing that shit anymore, man. <laughs> <laughs> But
3: man, it oh man, a little bit of like actual work goes
0: a long way it in life. You humility, man, big time it teaches you humility. I was a
1: janitor, was my first job. I didn't wash dishes. Good, I was like at a water park. I used to get paid for hours to scrub gum, scrape gum off the sidewalk. You're out there with like some chemical, like scraping those gum, little like gum all stains, day. Like those little gum stains, yeah. Turn you know, black. it was like yeah. something's been stepped on and like you know, yeah. worked into the. makes you rethink
0: when you see someone spit their gum out on a sidewalk probably oh i don't do it yeah i won't do it still to this day absolutely not you'll just eat it rather than spit it Uh, out absolutely
1: was this an
3: incentive type of janitorial position like per piece of gum you could find
0: no
1: it was it was out the perk the biggest perk of the job was there was like a pizza hut in the joint in this water park and uh what state was this in Is idaho yeah so you know it's a top quality water park just outside of boise Uh and uh you got to, uh, at the end of the day, they were going to throw the pizza away. And so they would give it out to all of us employees. So. so
0: you ended the day with a little pizza.
1: Yeah, that lasted like a week. But after a week of eating like Pizza Hut pizza, like I won't, I can't eat that shit again either. It's yeah. like, I'm over it. Yeah, like, you can't do it. I can't stomach it. I imagine not. So I imagine it burns you.
0: I, the most interesting job I had as a youngster was peeling logs for log homes. Ooh. So you had a draw knife. Oh, you did it old school. Yeah, because here's the thing. I think they still do it like that. Yeah, and even with, like, if it depends what, if you cut, when they cut the trees, if you cut the trees in in the fall, right, and the trees freeze in the winter, when the spring thaw comes, the bark falls off. But by then, that tree is hard. So there's no bark on it, and the outside is hard. But you still had to draw knife the whole damn tree, because they want that look. Yeah. The hand-peeled look. So you'd think like, oh, it'll be easier now because there's no bark on it. It, it took you, it, was, it paid 35 cents a foot. So you'd get a tree, be like 42 feet long, 35 cents a foot to strip the bark off with a draw knife. And if, and when you were peeling, if you were peeling in the spring and it was like old trees that the bark had come off, it was way less money. And it was really hard to get the, your stroke. It was hard to get your cut to look nice and smooth. Your cut would have this kind of jagged, torn look. Mm-hmm. And then Ed Thompson, who I worked for, I wouldn't like him like that. So the thing to do is just peel fresh. But then you get to the butt end of those things, man, that bark's like three inches thick. Yeah. And, and you could, a good peeler could peel enough to be able to afford leather gloves. Because if you were like a shit peeler, you'd lose money buying leather gloves. <laughs> you, I mean, the gloves just don't, they take heat shrink tubing. It was just like Ed Thompson to make his own draw nice. He'd take three quarter inch rebar, bend it like in a big U and then put heat shrink tubing on the handles and then weld the blade on there. And he'd sharpen them for you free of charge. So he'd do the sharpening, but he'd just go down there and just start freaking draw a knife in those trees, man. What kind of trees are these? He had a variety of things oh, okay. we could work with, yeah. He'd, he'd get some stuff from out west, some stuff from Michigan. Yeah, I
2: think they mechanically peel them, but then they almost had to go back Gouge. and add. Yeah. That's my understanding right.
0: of now. yeah, It was this dude, Wendell, it was me, sometimes my brothers would peel a little bit, and it was a dude named Barefoot. Yeah. When I was doing Peeling the dish pit. Brick and trees, man.
3: I, it was for, uh, it was interesting. Guy's like, yeah, I'm going to pay you $5.50 an hour, which was 25 cents more than minimum wage in Montana at the time. Because st- you were a good kid. Stoked about it. Uh, two weeks, it was minimum wage. I'm like, oh uh, yeah, first job, like you know, on the books job ever. And the guy's like, ah uh, yeah, I didn't really know if uh, you were gonna stick around, so I would put you at minimum wage. We'll talk about this later. I still don't understand. Never got paid the the promised five fifty. Oh really? Yeah, good lesson for a kid. And then about halfway through that summer, um, I got uh, an offer, we'll call it, to bust. Rocks, big river rocks, okay. in the basement of a building with a sledgehammer <laughs> because they couldn't <laughs> well, get any equipment what? in there to get them out of there so they could expand the basement of this office building. So that's what I did. How big are the river rocks?
1: It's huge. You like swung a hammer all day?
3: It's glacial, like, glacial lake,
0: Missoula, big aquifer boulders. Like you can't pick them up and carry them?
3: No. Really?
0: Yeah. That's interesting.
3: How'd that pay? Uh, eight bucks an hour,
0: and I was just like,
3: Woo, eight bucks an hour, give me that hammer. Here, yeah, we I'll
0: go. start wailing on a rock. Yep, when I was washing dishes at Steiner's Point, um, I remember the owner was a lady named Gretchen, and Steiner was her dog. But what I was trying to do in the daytime then is I was trying to commercially trap snapping turtles, which is a hard business to make money in because I'd get a buck a pound for turtle meat. Turtle, I could have the lower shell on the turtle, so you'd like you'd skin the whole turtle, leaving everything connected to the lower shell. So guts, head, feet, upper shell gone. Buck a pound. Very hard to make money. I don't think you'd do that in Michigan anymore. At the time, you could. Now is it all the weight in the upper shell? Is that all the weight to everywhere else? All your left. I mean, you're left with the yield on a turtle's not big. Okay. You know, it's like a big game animal that yields like 45%, right? A turtle is not even near that shit.
3: I've never attempted, never attempted to
0: cut one open. Yeah, yeah, it's a chore. What happened, how we got into that line of work, not even a line of work, how I got into that attempt is one day we were dipping smelt and dipped way more smelt uh, than we really had any use for. And you're like, you don't know about restraint when you're kids. I remember me and my brother were out and we went to Pentwater and we dipped... Eight five gallon buckets of smelt one night. So Tell me a little bit about because
2: I like you always talk about dip and smelt, but I really don't even know how, like how that works. There's three ways we'd get them.
0: And you don't clean them, right? No. You're, you're, I got a bunch in that freezer because my buddy in Michigan sends me bags of smelt every year. But
3: even for human diet or human. edibles you clean them or
0: not, we would typically take a pair of scissors, cut their head off, and gut them. Clean oh, them yeah. with scissors. Oh, okay. I mean, you're cleaning buckets full of them, you know? Yeah. He freezes them whole and then cleans them before he eats them. Or we would now and then just fry the whole damn fish whole and eat it like that anyways. So we get them three ways. One, always at night, so always in the dark. Uh, one way we'd get them is when they run up stream mouths, okay? So you go to a very small stream, like one place we used to catch them a fair bit was Duck Lake Channel. So there's a place called Duck Lake. Duck Lake has a channel, flows out in Lake Michigan. And smelt are in the Great Lake, well, everywhere, not everywhere, but this type of smelt is an anadromous smelt. So this smelt lives in the big water, runs up river to spawn. And they spawn like right in the lower sections of the river. Neither. So not in the Great Lakes, no. So they would run up and just spawn like in basically in the mouth of a stream. They'd come up in the dark and you'd just stand out there and you could either, if it was really good and real high and muddy, you'd dip them blind where you're just taking a big net and running that net down current. If it was clear water, we would just hang a lantern on a post and you'd wait and big schools of them would come by and you'd dip them up. Or we would go to the places that had break walls, so like Pentwater, White Lake Channel, Muskegon Channel, any of these various channels, and where to smelt or getting ready to go up big water courses and you just sit on the break walls built out into the into Lake Michigan mm-hmm. and hang a lantern and you just and they just get they'd hit the wall, they'd hit the brake wall, of the schools. And I'm talking giant schools. You know, you see like pods of them that were like a car, right? Just dense with thousands of them. They'd hit the brake wall and just go up and down the brake wall trying to figure out what to do. And you'd have what's called a drop net. And they they there's a certain size. Like I, I believe at the time I think you could have a 36 inch square drop net. So you had nine square feet of drop net on a pole. And you'd lower the drop net down to the bottom and you wanted it to be like the color of sand. And as the school drifted over your drop net, you just lift your drop net up. And that was when you were really like knocking the hell out of them. It was typically like drop nets were very effective. So when me and Matt went to Pentwater one night, we dipped uh, 40 gallons with a drop net, two drop nets. But we were getting so many, you, we were filling the bucket. Like It was a long walk. One guy, one, that, I remember that night in particular, just to take one bucket up the car and come back and the, other, you, the other guy dipping would have his bucket full. So our fishing mentor down the beach, a guy by the name of John Gary who passed away some years ago, um, he fished, he lived by himself, but fished 200 days a year. And I'm not just like bullshit, like he would show you, he kept track of how many days he fished and what books he read. And he would like pull out a, his notebook to be like, here's the days I fished what I fished, what I caught. And it was always like a mystery, like how could John Gary eat as many fish as he caught? But then he tells us what I do when I get a lot of fish is I sell them down at Captain's Wharf and he'll buy anything that, this is illegal and I was young and stupid, but he's like, they'll buy anything that, that there that is a legal market for. So there's still like commercial perch fisheries in Canada and other places. So he would buy yellow perch flays, no questions asked. John Gary said, when you're uh told me warned me at the time when you're buying something from him he has his thumb on the scale and when you're selling him something he's got his finger under the scale but it ain't his thumb. <laughs>
3: so
0: I remember what he told me. So we took all these smelt down there and I remember the guy gave us 40 bucks he gave us a dollar a gallon for smelt and that's how I entered into this illicit relationship with this man that lasted from when I was around, you know, around that same period when I was scrubbing dishes legally at Steiner's Point yeah Notes from the life of a of a, of a former uh, violator. All right, so here's here's a segue for you, Brad Brooks. Brad Brooks, our guest. Tell us um what's going on. Tell tell what's your axe to grind. That's right. not a good way to That's not a
1: good way to kick it off. Tell tell us, tell us what you do. Uh, I I have a few things I do. Uh, sometimes I'm Ryan Callahan's handler when there's media around. Gotcha. Uh, I do that keep him from making embarrassing himself. I do, yeah. I do. Um make sure he gets his hair cut on time. <laughs> <laughs> uh I, I also I have a, a company called Argali. Um it's like a lightweight backcountry hunting uh company. I'll do some filming stuff. Um and then my full time job is I work for the Wilderness Society and I'm the uh, public lands campaign director. Also real
0: specific within the Wilderness Society.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've done a bunch of stuff, but that's kind of what I do now is run our public lands campaign.
0: Now, um, so break down the Wilderness Society for me. I, I, I'm venturing that mo- like a, a lot of folks out of the, the, the hunting and fishing world are probably not real familiar with the mandate of the Wilderness Society.
1: Yeah, so we have a mission to uh, protect wilderness and inspire Americans to care for wild places. Uh, we've been around since 1935. Uh, one of the oldest conservation organizations in America, founded by the likes of uh, Bob Marshall, Alda Leopold, some of the folks that kind of invented this idea of uh, conservation in America. Uh, we are headquartered in DC. We have staff all over the country, um, and we work on a variety of issues. But uh, public lands conservation is kind of the core of it.
0: What's your guys? What's your working definition of
1: wilderness? Dude, that's 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 a really uh, tough question to answer. Uh, there's like. Capital W wilderness, congressionally yeah, designated like, yeah, wilderness. Like that's very federally recognized wilderness. Yeah, federally recognized wilderness. There's a law and a definition, right? Uh, I think that is a very small subset of what we consider to be wilderness. That what we call small W wilderness is really kind of in the eye of the beholder. Um, so for some people, like a park in a city is their idea of wilderness. Uh, that's, that's a stretch. But sure. Uh, really? Sure. But for some people, that's that is their wilderness experience, like Central no, Park. No, because right?
0: they, they wouldn't be like, "Hey, I'm going into the wilderness,"
1: uh, and they'll walk into the park. I don't know, man. I don't know. You'd be surprised. Right. Uh, some I'll you, say, know, I'll don't like, you don't Don't call wilderness. Call it like the wilds. The wilds. Go for a walk in the
0: woods. I think it would be fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> but this is where it gets <laughs> really. This is really. I'll be like,
1: that's not the woods, dude. That's a park.
3: Comfort zone, though.
1: Yeah, okay, well, let me ask you this then. Okay, let's talk, let's get into this because like my idea of like a wilderness experience is being dropped off in like the Frank. Sure. Or the Frank Church or some wild place. I I just, I don't really like to see other people when I'm in the wilderness, but that is a very unique perspective of the amount of people, the the types of people that use wilderness. If you go to like the Red Rocks uh, NCA outside of Vegas, Red Rocks, the uh, Rainbow Canyon Wilderness. Yeah. It is just like, you'd think you were in a theme park. There's so many people like hiking up and down the trail. And I mean, it's just like a never-ending stream of yeah, people. Yeah, it's like, like
0: through Yellowstone National Park.
1: It is. And, like people got speakers, they're listening to music. It's like, uh, but it's wilderness, uh, de- designated wilderness. And for some people, they might go like 100 yards into that area, sit down, kind of look at the mountains and be like, I love being in the wilderness. Like this is just so much fun. Yeah. And that's their wilderness experience. So that's why I say it is kind of in the eye of the beholder like that is not what i would consider to be a wilderness experience but that's you know but, I, but is thing. is the organization are you guys involved in all 50 states no uh most of them uh certainly all the western states pretty much states where there's public land so gotcha. a heavy presence in alaska uh all over the west and then on the east coast uh uh, Maine, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. About Michigan, all
0: those beautiful national forests. We do
1: do some work in Michigan. Yeah. yeah. Sleeping Bear Dunes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You familiar with that? Yeah. Yeah. We worked on that. Right south of there, man. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a wilderness bill uh, that got designated there. What was that? Not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't remember the year. Um, so, yeah. So we work on, uh, we work pretty much anywhere there's public land. Um, and, you know, it's not just, I know wilderness is in our name but we work on public lands issues sort of writ large. So it's not just, we're not myopically focused on, we just designate wilderness. It's like, it's very, it, it's much broader than that. In fact, wilderness campaigns, you know, I've worked on a number of them over the years, but that's a very small part of what we do.
0: So what's your, I, I know you like to hunt, but what's your what's the organization's relationship to hunting?
1: Are they adversarial to hunting? No. like no, Do you have to like not. hide the fact that you like to go hunting? No, not at all. No, that's no. uh, a fair question. I get it a lot actually um you know i was fortunate when i first started with wilderness society uh i i got hooked up with them out of college i went and worked i was on a I was on a fish biology crew up yeah. in sawtooth i lived in the sawtooth so you, you were born in idaho uh, uh no i actually wasn't but i moved to idaho shortly after i was born oh okay. um like as a little kid you got yeah, yeah yeah I yeah. See, yeah i see so uh but i lived in the sawtooth in the white clouds for a summer uh trap or uh, shocking bull trout looking for new populations of bull trout did you find any I did, yeah. 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 Sworn to secrecy. I can't tell you where they're at, but found some big ones. Like, you found a population of bull trout that wasn't like on the map. Several, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. We would go place these uh, temperature, uh, God, what the hell are they called? Little temperature sensors. We'd go t- zip time to like rocks and brush and little creeks. And then we would go back. If the temperature, the water temperature was certain uh, in a cer- within a certain range, the biologists would send us back to go shock it because they knew that bo- the bull trout only exist. They like to spawn in a certain temperature range. Um, so then we'd go, we'd hike. I mean, I would hike a car battery and like two pairs of like rubber boots, like deep into the wilderness. Um, it was some of the most miserable work. I mean I I've done everything from picking up, you know, dog excrement for a living as a young kid, uh, scraping, bubblegum. scraping scraping gum And I'll tell you what, man, when the mosquitoes and the horse flies were like really bad and the ticks were really bad and you're like just trudging through brush all day off trail, some of that thick stuff, it was it was kind of miserable. Um at some point in time. It it sounded like a dream job when I got the job, I was like, Oh man, I'm in heaven. I get to like hike every day and like shot fish. But then like reality of it was like this is work.
0: <laughs> I, want, I want to interject on two points.
1: Yeah, I, I think I might have talked about both these, but
0: I was in the Philippines and I saw a subsistence fisherman who had homemade shocking fish shocking rigs hmm. where they had car batteries. They yeah. made a backpack out of uh, detergent bottles. So they'd, they'd take a big, huge detergent bottle and cut the top off, put a car battery in there and the shoulder straps were made out of rope and they had wands and they would go out on the rocks in the river and just run those wands under the rocks, and another guy would be on a rock downstream with a net, and they'd shock up little shrimp and Whatever. Little crabs and stuff, yeah. and then cook them up. The yeah. second story is like, I feel like this is sort of a, a, a story about a, a divinity, where my brother was shocking fish in the state of Pennsylvania when he was, I think he, he might have been in graduate school or doing small jobs on ahead of going to graduate school for ecology. He was shocking fish. It was walking back from doing a sample on a stream and a bolt of lightning came out of the heavens and struck the ground next to him and the electricity went up into the sack of fish and shocked his arm. Damn. Now that isn't like big man saying, hey, taste your own medicine, buddy. <laughs> Just so you know. Just so you know. Well, the challenge. I'm the watching. Challenge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the challenge was shocking was always like finding the right voltage, right current, because you didn't want to like, you didn't want to, you know. Oh, because you could smoke a beaver too, easily. like the bigger it is, easily. right? The bigger yeah, it is, casually. the more it, the more yeah. it shocks. So like, you could smoke turtles and beavers on accident, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, uh, I mean, we can go deep into this, but it was also like always, you know, you're always trying to find the right voltage. And then I was always surprised. To do, like, to do what? Have range, but not be lethal? Correct. Yeah. You yeah. want to stun them, but you don't want to kill them, right? So you want to be able to put them back um we caught a ton of sculpin there's like sculpin all over those mountain streams you just don't know about they had no idea they were there like you don't catch them when you're fishing no Yeah. yeah exactly um and big ones too but you also catch some really big fish uh that i wouldn't have guessed exist up in some of those mountain streams so like big game fish uh, I mean, for like uh, cutthroat, yeah, I mean, big cutthroats for, you know, you catch a, you have a little stream that's only like that wide and you pull out 14 inch cutthroats. And you're there, like, where's right? that, where's that dude when I'm fishing? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, cause I'm like catching <laughs> these little guys. But, uh, so when I, when I, I did that, got hooked up to the Willer Society and I mean, I've always been, um, in a hunting. So I didn't really like, I went to work for the Willow Society cause I knew what they did, but like, I didn't have any, like, I wasn't worried that like, oh man, I wonder if these guys like or, you know, or pro hunting. I knew they were pro hunting, um, but I didn't really have any, like... Yeah, because Bob it was, Marshall and Aldo Leopold were. Yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe I was just naive. I didn't realize there were folks that kind of had that opinion of the Wilderness Society that maybe were, were not uh, a group that's supportive of hunting, but... Uh, where did the Where did that sense come from? From me? No, no, no. If people
0: have it, where do they get it? Oh, you'd have to ask that. Is there like a high profile well, thing? where there like was like a pissing match about some sort of hunting activities on designated wilderness or
3: there's a lot of folks who just think conservation groups in general are some uh, you know ultra liberal um, conspiracy to eventually take away hunting and fishing.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like that dude that wrote to us suggesting that the Clintons Put wolves into Yellowstone as a way to disarm America because the wolves would eat all the game and then no one would have a reason to buy a gun anymore. And it was a gun control measure. It's called the long con,
1: <laughs> <laughs> the long game. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of, there's probably a lot of reasons. I think Ryan's right. I think that, like, just folks, just generally, it's like you work on conservation, you're just kind of suspect in general um yeah
0: but it is possible like it it is true that some organizations okay that, that maybe they'll maybe they even you know you know we always had Giannis and i had this ongoing discussion about who gets to own the term environmentalist right so we yeah. have this so for a lot of time we had like we have like conservationists like conservation and that has a connotation or that has a you know, it, it sort of rings in a certain way in people's minds and it's a term that for many 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 years uh was, you know, a, a term of sort of describing a type of environmentalism um, owned by hunters and fishermen, okay? Now you see that, like, groups that were traditionally might have identified as environmental groups start to use the term conservation because conservation has a more positive connotation in the, Amer- in the popular American mind. People hear the word environmentalist, and they think radical. People hear the word conservation and they think that it's... um. It, it, it's like more of a business-friendly, pragmatic, realistic form of environmentalism. Yep. And I think there's, and, and this isn't true. I mean, it's not true across, no, it's not true. It's not universally true, but it's like this, this sort of wrestling match that has occurred around no. this word. And I think that there are some groups, like I know, for instance, like, Sierra Club. So they'll do some stuff around, like you'll see Sierra Club stuff where they'll have a guy doing a little upland bird hunting, right? He'll be like hunting some pheasants and, they, and, and maybe a guy is like catches a trout and pokes a hole in its face and lets it go. And that's like, they're like, yeah, you know, we're kind of cool with that. But you're not going to go on their website and find some dude be, doing a grip and grin with a dead bull. <laughs> it's his tongue hanging out of his mouth. It's just, they're just not going to go near it, right? Because yeah. they want to sort of, they want to kind of like not alienate what they would call the hook and bullet crowd, Mm -hmm. but they don't really want to embrace it either. And then when an issue comes up, um, you'll often find that they're on, you know, you'll often find that they're maybe a little bit adversarial to state management of wildlife. And they generally tend to side with a hands-off federalist approach toward wildlife management. And so you'd say to a Sierra Club guy like, hey, are you guys anti-hunting? Of course not. We just had a guy holding a trout on our website. But when you look at the mean, you know the the average of activities that they've centered themselves around, they haven't generally been friendly toward.
1: Yeah, no, consumptive yeah, users. I, and I have a real, I have a, a strong, I have a theory as well on this whole like environmental versus conservation term. Like, how do you self describe? Somebody asks you, "Hey, Steve, conservationist, environmentalist." Radical conservationist. Radical conservationist. Yeah, that's a good one. I haven't thought about that one. I haven't thought about option C. Uh, you know, if you say, I mean, the term the the term environmental environmentalist has been is a sort of a catch all phrase for folks that are in the animal rights camp to folks that are in the sort of the the more left flank of the environmental world. So yeah. so like. I can't tell you how much I cringe when like I see like, you know, animal rights group A is doing X, Y, and Z, you know, or they don't say animal rights. They say the media is like an environmental group, you know, is you know, doing X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, they're not an environmental organization. They're an animal rights organization. Yeah, they're focused on like
0: individual animals. That's exactly what they do. That's all they really are focused on. They're clueless about habitat, clueless about long-term. They're like, if it's a little bear and he has a name like petals, (laughs) They're like, that's who I'm, that's what I'm looking out for is that yeah. bear right there who's yeah. got a life expectancy of about three years.
1: Yeah. And, you know, if you also remember, like, Wilderness Society, like, our constituency, our members, like, we have a wide array of, array, array of members, right? So, like, it's not, um, you know, like, while a sportsman's organization might be like, we only, like, we represent, like, this one segment of mm-hmm. the population. Like, yeah. Our our constituency, it's like everybody from hikers, horseback riders, you know, hunter, fishermen, like, mountain bikers runners and so we try and be like um not try to be too offensive in our messaging to like uh and we're cogs of like how we present what we do to everybody um so yeah you're probably not going to see a grip and grin on our home page um, it just has nothing to do with what you're talking about yeah and it's not um but you're yeah. not going to see a grip and grin on a
0: vacuum cleaner web page here because it's, like, it's, it's, like, it's not related to the message.
1: No, that, that said, we have used, I have, I there have been gripping grins of me in our media work. Is that uh, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, on various campaigns. In fact, one uh, one picture, it's like, I didn't realize, but my hands were just like, I just got done, it was like a mule deer photo. It's like me, it's just like blood kind of just smattered about and like hands bloody and I've got like hands on the horns and that ended up in some of our, our uh, communications materials. Uh, for a while on a campaign. And there's no big blowback? No. I mean, I don't see all the mail, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah. As far as that, nobody told me if there was, you know, so. Can I can I ask
0: you about one issue that has nothing to do with hunting? Just to get a sense yeah. of, of sort of how you guys look at stuff. Are you familiar with uh, this push that people think that you should be, well, let me bring the listeners up to speed and then I'll ask the question. Uh, the way, so, so, wilderness with a capital W, like federally designated mm-hmm. wilderness areas um you're not allowed to use mechanized equipment and you're not allowed to use wheeled conveyances on the land so you can hike and use livestock this is generally true like it's very difficult you know you can't land helicopters land airplanes uh ride bikes pull wagons anything with the wheels anything with the motor but i know that like mountain bikers are all fired up about that they can't go ripping around on their mountain bikes through a wilderness yeah Tell me, you guys, what, where's your guys' stance on that?
1: Oh, I got a strong opinion on that one, Steve. Uh, I used to race mountain bikes. Uh, so still, this is coming from a mountain biker. I don't, yeah. I mean, I I, I self-identify as, like, a recreational mountain biker now, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we're strongly opposed to it. That's I mean, good. Yeah. I mean, like, guys going 25 miles an hour.
0: Yeah. Along trails. You're not, wa- like, their thing is, like, oh, we enjoy the area. It's just, like, just enjoy it somewhere else. Yeah. Uh there's plenty of places to go real fast on wheeled conveyances.
1: Yeah, I, I do not feel like uh, I need to, as a mountain biker, I don't feel like I need to be able to take my mountain bike anywhere. You know, I don't feel like you have to be able to ride a motorcycle everywhere. I feel like there's kind of like a, everybody has their place in the landscape. You just got to like figure out, you know, where those uses can, ex- can occur. And what occur. percent of the country is federally designated wilderness? Uh, 2%, 2.6%, something yeah. like that.
0: So there's a lot of ground. There's not a lot of ground out there for bike riding. <laughs> you could say there was 97%
1: of the America that is open for bike.
0: Riding. Yeah, like mountain bikers are like, yeah, I know. Like, I can ride my bike on 97% of the American landmass, but that's just not enough for me. You gotta have it all, man. I need it. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it drives right. me crazy. I can't ride my bike anywhere
1: I want. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, a so, so you a guys, you issue. guys
0: pushing push back on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that is very much a direct, like, assault on the Wilderness Act. I mean, to the allow- intent, The intent of the Wilderness well, Act. Well, how, how do you, I mean, draw, the, I mean, if you know anything about mountain bikes, you know that the line between electronic motorcycle and mountain bikes is incredibly blurry with these new e-bikes, e-assist bikes, um, and you can even hide now, you can hide, like, an electronic assist motor in, like, the tube of your bike. That's what I heard people were doing. Yeah, and so you can, you look at it if you're, like, trying to enforce. It's like, you look at it, you're like, oh, it just looks just like a mountain bike to me. But the guy's got a motor in there. Um, and you can go, I mean, a charge will get you. I mean, you can go back, say you're hunting. You can go back, like, 12, 15 miles on your bike, no problem, not a ton of effort. Um, so that line is really blurry. So if you allow, like, you know, mountain bikes and what's next, you know, like, what's the case against, like, motorcycles, ATVs? It's like, so it kind of just cuts at the core of, like, why do we even have wilderness if you're going to start allowing... You have to draw, it is controversial, but you do have to kind of draw a line somewhere. The line's not that blurry. If you're
3: the poor fool that's got a 65-pound pack who just hoofed it 15 miles back
1: in there, and here comes some <laughs> blowhard on a fat tire bike. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I tell you, that's pretty crystal clear. So one thing I'll say about the whole mountain bike and wilderness thing is that, you know, just this is my personal view of the whole situation is, you know, there was a a, a relatively high-profile high controversial designation in idaho around the boulder white clouds wilderness oh yeah um uh, i worked on that campaign and uh it was it was uh an end to a very it was like a four decade long campaign basically and i did a uh backpack hunt there with my my older brother and to this one area where there was some controversy around should we open you know leave this trail open or not and i have to tell you like i kind of tried to go in with an open mind and just like go to the area and kind of experience it and see, just try and see how it would be with mountain bikes. And I, I came away with just personally feeling like they just absolutely didn't belong in that area. It was a wild place. And if you had, you know, guys and gals just ripping down this trail all day long, it would make it feel, even though I had to go like whatever it was, like seven miles to get back in there, that it would make it feel like I was just like in my backyard um, because there was just people everywhere. Um, so it's kind of a subjective thing, but just for me personally, it's like, there's some places where it's just okay to just walk, you know.
0: But it's not, it's really, like whole, it's not really subjective. We look at what the – I mean, the, like, they, they kind of spell out pretty clearly, like, what it is.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no room in the wilderness act for them, but yeah, they were talking yeah, about yeah. drawing the boundaries kind of Oh, the,
0: I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, in that case, yeah, how are you going to draw it?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the argument here is is we want people to appreciate these places, and if your preferred means of access is by a mountain bike – you aren't going to go in and and uh, uh, see these areas and therefore appreciate them and want to want them to be around long term is uh, kind of the flip side of the argument. And all these lands are managed for everybody. Um, lots of different user groups out there. It's got to be space for everyone. Um, so yeah, there, I mean, there was a big the mountain bike community around uh, Ketchum was certainly up in arms over the fact that. Um, this Germania, isn't it?
1: Germania is open still. Oh, Germania is open. Castle Divide was Castle open, Divide and was the Basin and, and Castle Divide 2 trailers.
0: Cuz yeah. they're pissed about having lost access. They're like a spot that um they used to be able to go now they can't. Right. Yeah. yeah. That riles people up more than the continuation of a of a closure. Yeah.
1: That's that's kind of uh, I was talking with somebody about this recently. I don't know if it was you and I, Cal, but like that's true just in politics in general, right? It's like you got people know when they don't know as much who gives them a benefit, but they sure as hell remember who takes something away from them. So you take something away from somebody, they're going to remember you. Yeah, yeah, Politicians yeah. know that, right? So it's like same thing. It's like, you, I don't know who gave me that mountain bike trail, but like you take it away, like I'm going to remember who you are. So
0: Hey, real quick before we get back into what, uh, what remind me, like what's the hike you guys do? Oh, the death hike? Yeah, tell me the death hike. Yeah. Are uh, you coming this year? No, I don't think I am. Not because not I'm, I'm chicken. I just don't think I am because I have just yeah. various obligations. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, I, I remember when we time. talked about it, was it didn't line up with what I had going on. Now, uh, this is something that Ryan really wants to try and do this year, too, right? I was going to say, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan doesn't believe in the. Ryan's like, what are you you're going hiking just to go to hike? No. So, uh, spell, what's the walk it's again, not my, though? It's not my thing. It's my, my buddy Steve uh, puts it on. It's called the Death Hike. And uh, it's essentially like uh, um, last year we got dropped off in Chamberlain Bay from the Frank. And it was like a four Frank church, Frank church, Church yeah, we call it the Frank, uh, and we got dropped in Chamberlain Basin, which is kind of the middle of the Frank church and then hiked out. It's like dropped off via airplane. There's like
0: a landing strip in there. There's
1: 18 airstrips in the Frank church. They were grandfathered into that wilderness area. Um, really 18 in the Frank church or 17 or 18. Yeah. Yep. God, the place is huge. It's massive. Um, yeah, it's well you need especially if you combine the subway and the frank together it's like the in the lower 48 it's the biggest contiguous wilderness in the lower 48 so but i
0: feel like two places claim that
1: who's it what's the other one the um bob marshall scapegoat all that oh they're wrong yeah north fork <laughs> flathead <laughs> is it contiguous i've never heard that the the
3: it's not uh, spotted bear bob scapegoat bob marshall wilderness complex is contiguous um 2.2 hmm. 2 million acres
1: total yes yeah I, i'm pretty sure that's quite a bit smaller hash of the contiguous wilderness areas <laughs> <laughs> um, we're gonna hash this out later ryan let's all
3: meet up <laughs> in our respective wilderness areas
1: you bring your stats i'll bring my stats <laughs> all
0: right so anyways all right so big ass
1: big so ass you, you fly in we got flown in and it was like the whole point of it is that you just hike out you know it's kind of as as uh, quick as you can so you just go light you know bring like a pack no tents a sleeping bag and this last year uh, got pretty uh, got pretty western because you know the first we walked like I don't know like 26 miles for, and, which isn't too bad we got a light pack and then we camped uh, on this peak and then the next day we had to drop into the South Fork of the Salmon River Corridor and then climb back out um, well it's six thousand, sixty five hundred vertical down to the sa- South Fork of the Salmon and 65 back up and um, and if you've never dropped that much and then climbed back out that much, like uh, it's a lot. And so as you're going down, it starts getting hotter and hotter and harder. The rattlesnakes are coming out. So by the time we get down to the South Fork of the Salmon, we're probably 38 miles in, a um, few hours of sleep. And, you know, everybody brought just real minimal food. And then a couple guys guys um, kind of out Uh, let's see. They, they thought they were tougher than they were. I think it's (laughs) an easy way to say it. Um, that's a hard hike if you're coming, especially if you're not used to elevation. Right. And guys are starting to fall apart at this point in time. You got blisters real bad guys. Feet are just getting torn up. Those guys are going down first. Um, and then you've got, uh, heat exhaustion is getting real serious. in a few guys, too. guys are puking, couldn't hold down water. And we still have to climb up out of the canyon. Um, And there really, there was two options at that point. Like one guy, you can go down and take a jet boat out or climb back out. And three of us realizing how kind of the general feeling in the group were like, well, the trucks are at the top of this next mountain. So we'll go hike to the top and then we'll drive down this ridge and we send everybody else down to this this other spot, which was like shorter distance and not as much climbing. And uh, it ended up, I think it ended up being 46 or 47 miles. Uh, Got out right about dark and uh, it, it was And how many hours did it take you guys to go 47 miles? Uh, Let's see. I can't remember. It was like, we got dropped off around like midday, hiked all the way till dark, and then got up early the next day and got out of darks. What is that, like 36 hours, something like that. Uh, So it's not an incredibly fast pace. Like a good ultra runner could do that, no problem. But um, I think just with a heat, distance, elevation, Uh, everything kind of got to a lot of people the the real the real pisser was though as we were climbing up out of south fork salmon corridor Uh, i started getting into like nine bark brush country so brushy under undergrowth and like it was a burn so there's like logs down oh that's the other part of the story is like there wasn't really a trail for the last like half the trip so you're just like crawling over deadfall for like half that mileage yeah which is not fun and then the snakes the rattlesnakes started showing up so I started like almost stepping on rattlesnakes in that nine bark brush and down timber. And I'm not a fan of snakes. And so like that was when I, that was not a fun situation for me. Um, almost stepped on two rattlesnakes, came real close to them. So a nice little hike. Nice little hike. And uh, I think a few guys found religion that night. <laughs> I'm serious. There were some guys that were like- Come out worshiping the snake gods. Dude, they were- <laughs> happy to be alive like one guy i thought for sure was gonna have to go i thought he might have to get medevaced out like he was how serious. many
0: people started the hike
1: uh there were 13 of us last year how many year. people
0: finished it just ready to rock or how many people finished uh
1: four of i think four of us finished it that weren't puking four or five of us that weren't puking or kind of like really struggling yeah
0: so, um, so. uh i just want to check on that real quick cause that's yeah we're doing it again
1: this year different hike though. different hike though yeah yeah what, I, might come, I might come do that sometime. That sounds fun.
2: So I, the boys in Arizona want, do the rim to rim to rim. You, mm-hmm. you heard of that one?
1: No, that sounds pretty Grand Canyon,
2: all the way down to the bottom, up to the side, turn around, come back, and do it again. They probably look at our hike to be like, that's cute. We do that for a warm-up. Theirs, I think, ends up being
1: 47 miles, and the goal is to do it sub-24. Oh, That's, that's, you know, that's some coyote stuff right there. I mean, I felt like we could, I, what I would like to do is just like keep going. But it's you know, a nice trail night. the whole way. I mean oh, like
2: yeah. super Well like, That wide. makes a big yeah. difference.
1: Yeah.
0: That's like, yeah, a world of like difference. It's like when, when, ha- when you have to concentrate on where each foot's going. But that doesn't it's make it different. easy. It's a heck of a hike. No, no, no. I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm saying when you don't have to be like, where am I going to put my foot? Where am I going to put my foot? Where am I going to put my foot? Every time you take a step, it's a lot different. Oh and when my you're gosh. Ca-
1: crawling on like, you know, like deadfall, like stacked on each other, you know? In fact, I saw a monster bull right about the time I started seeing those snakes and, uh, I knew exact, and I was like this is a good looking area for elk Started seeing a lot of elk signs saw a huge bull And this is like what is this July And I was like I don't care I'll never come back Here in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never come back here It's like not worth it Too wow. many snakes. So
0: we covered uh, We covered you guys in bikes yeah. Which wasn't what we're going to talk about Now talk about you guys Here's the main thing I want to talk about um, Is Is your findings and your work Around the 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 federal land transfer debate which is this ongoing thing that comes up often on this digital radio program and comes up often in american society you know it comes up and then goes away and takes a decade off and it comes back again and right now we're kind of in the worst of it that we've seen Mm -hmm. i think in the in the modern era um hey everybody i'm talking here about montana knife company from our very own state of montana This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. and In that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out In minutes of being released Which is true But now for the first time They're dabbling with having knives in stock On their site So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 Or the Ultralight Speed Goat Use code MEATEATER And you get 10% off your first order Montana Knife Company Working knives for working people 10% off With the code MEATEATER That's a good deal Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. Here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At errands, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With errands, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it, Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit aarons.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for. From family vacations to their grandkids graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage. And simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want. And mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best selling frame with that code. The code being Meat Eater. AuraFrames.com, promo code Meat Eater. The worst of it we've seen since uh, Teddy Roosevelt fought tooth and nail to establish our federal land management system. Um, it's the worst like affront to that we've seen, which is going on right now, the last few years, is uh, unparalleled efforts to force the federal government to dispose of your public land hunting and fishing grounds Um, and you guys are one of many groups battling this and a thing that i want to talk to you about they're not just hunting and fishing grounds right no that's what i think of them as
3: yeah, sure, but it's whatever. In, it's important
0: birdwatching grounds. I don't yeah. know. Fill in your favorite thing. That's just how I view it. Whatever floats your boat. Outdoor recreation. I'm, not, I'm talking mainly the. I'm talking of the kind of Joe blows that, that are listening to us. But yeah, federal public, federally managed public. Well, lands. just in
2: case there's someone else that's like in the background. All right. So
0: if there's someone else who has no ability to like imagine uh, thinking broad strokes, yes, Johnny, rattle off a list of activities that one might participate in on federally managed public lands. General water sports. Okay. Your uh, federally managed water sports locations. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, When I say federally managed, that's important because when people say like federally owned, like the federal government doesn't own the land, okay? What it is is the the, the American people, right? The, The citizens of the United States own the land and their trustee, like the person that we have, you know, dedicated to managing them on our behalf, in many cases as multiple use uh, landscapes is the federal government. So that's why we're saying federally managed public lands. And a big part of this debate, like a a way that the people who wanna ditch federal managed lands, um, one are generally motivated by, uh, they want unfettered access to extract mineral resources. Like if you eliminated if you eliminated the pool of people, the pool of this very small pool of very wealthy and very influential individuals who want a less, cumbersome, a less cumbersome pathway to extracting mineral resources and making boatloads of money off it, if you remove those people, we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's not Brad talking, that's me talking. That's generally what this is about. And a way that they push this agenda is they feel that um, rather than saying we want to privatize it, what they what they say is that we want to uh, hand it over to state management. And they'll do like, oh, yeah, because locals know best. And so they want to hand over to state management. But states, unlike the federal government, aren't in the large-scale land management business. And states oftentimes, because of their own constitutions, can't uh, can't run an unbalanced budget, right? So if they have a deficit, they need to liquidate assets. And what often happens is they liquidate land. So when people are talking about handing federal land over to the States, it's like code language for the gradual, what will become the gradual privatization of land that now belongs to the American people and is open access. And what they know is whether it goes to the states or whether it eventually winds up being privatized, it will have, um, it, it'll be a greasier, easier path toward some people monetizing resources on that land. You cool with all that? Sounds good. All right. A thing people say is they say, no, that's not true, because the states, they'll do a better job. All right? Does that sound like a thing people say? It does. Yep. What now Brad expl- like take that take it from that point and explain what you have found as you guys have looked into state versus federal management and is it really just the same thing but a different name when the land goes to the states
1: Yeah so um, as part of our work you know we we realized too we, we would uh you know do some polling on folks like how do you feel about this issue people would be like I like land you know, they don't really understand like the difference between state, federal, county. It's all just land that they can use, right? So to try and really uh, help people understand the difference between state and public land, um, we, we've done a series, a, a series of work that's kind of shined a light on kind of the difference between state and public land. And uh, done a series of reports when we did in Idaho, that focused on state land sales, just like what's the track record of Western states with managing and selling land. Um, and a couple of important things, like you mentioned some of them, there's like the difference in maximum revenue generation that states, all Western states, uh, have an obligation by their constitution to abide um, versus the multiple use mandate of public land.
0: A federally managed public land. Federally
1: managed public yeah. land, yeah. Um, so, and the other thing we found is that, you know, the, you know, states have a long- history of selling off their lands. And there is, you know, if I was going to, this is another book idea for it. You could write a whole book on the corruption about how state lands have been disposed in the West. It is a fascinating tale as I sort of got into the Cadillac
0: desert, but about public. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, Yeah, no, for sure. Like, um, so in Idaho, for example, like the state has, you know, liquidated 41% of its state lands. Um, y'all know Nevada is like 99.8% of its public lands. So back up,
0: Back up on a couple things here. Yeah. Of the state land, of the land that the state of Nevada has owned, Mm -hmm. they have liquidated what percent?
1: It's like 99.8. It's all, but they have 3,000 acres of state land left out of the, when every state was formed, I don't know if you guys talked about this in your podcast. School trust land. School trust, but there were other lands too. So the state was given lands for, uh, uh, public uses so that include hospitals to to benefit hospitals uh schools the vast majority of federal lands given to states when they became states was to be used for the benefit of uh schools The call calling down yeah, and,
0: and oftentimes i'm not sure this is universal but oftentimes it'd be one section out of every 36 correct so if you had a six by a six by six square mile chunk of land one of those one section would be like what what some states would call, or in some, I guess, probably in some periods of American history, those parcels were described as school trust lands. And it would be that the state could use revenues from that to finance public education. Correct. And some states would just literally, they just get it and then sell it and it'd be like, there, done. Or yeah. some states would use it and lease out grazing rights on it or, or mining things on it. Or some states would do trades, swaps. And instead of having one loan section out of 36, they would do swaps in order to get a, a, a contiguous block of a bunch of sections and then do whatever to monetize it. Yep. Some states on those lands, like Montana, um, it, it's pretty open. Like, like on state lands, you're allowed to do certain activities. Other states really curtail the activities you can do on like most state lands in Colorado, you can't camp overnight. Yeah. There are some states that don't even allow hunting on state public. So yep. their state lands are not public land.
1: No, no. I mean, you go to, I can show you pictures from like New Mexico and Idaho, like signs that say, you know, property state of Idaho, keep out. Like they're all over the place. Um. So, so yeah, no, state land is definitely not public. And when you start looking at the history too, so each state was given these lands. Some states got a better deal. There must've been better negotiators, but like New Mexico got like, I think it's like every like 16, 32nd, they got more land. They had like 12 million acres. They were given a statehood. Um, what, did do, what did they do with it all? New Mexico has sold off. Uh, I want to say like four and a half million acres of their state land. So they still have some of it. Texas um, sold all theirs. Well, yeah, Virtually it's te- all theirs. It's Texas. So oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, all together in the West, like there are states have disposed of thirty million acres of state land to date. And a lot of states like have as a part of their their management portfolio. You know, remember they're mandated to make money. They have, you know, real estate, you know, investment as a part of that, their what they do. So that includes, you know, selling, buying land. Um, so like Utah for example, like Utah has like massive planned communities on state land. Um, I mean, I, I'm talking about massive planned communities too. So you're talking about like- They're mesh- built already. That they are in the process of building. Really? So, yeah. Like
0: they're like in the land development business.
1: hundred percent. Like go to St. George. Like you can find us all on their website too. It's like not hard to find, but you go out to St. George, they have this massive planned community. I'm talking like golf courses, like, you know, strip malls, like houses. Like imagine like if you were at your favorite hunting hole, and that little like spot of ground outside of St. George and then like next you know come back like two years later and you're like holy hell there's a golf course here. <laughs> dude I know uh, I would
0: rather they somehow dug it out and made it that it was a hole in the earth rather than put a golf course <laughs> on it, <that>, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah I'm with you. Oh my god, it's just like yeah so so those going are going <laughs> out and Beating around little balls be like, oh, mine's close to the hole. Oh, mine's even closer to the hole. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God, that people like that. I just can't, can't even not, bring your dog. I can't <laughs> not understand. Like,
1: oh, look how my <laughs> by, by, by the hole. So I tell you, you're not a golfer? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, I, no golf. Dude, I, didn't see I golf just, in I here. cannot understand
3: it. Yeah. But nuts and bolts of this issue comes down to. Um, Or they say it always comes down to, well, who's going to manage it better? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I have buddies that are state foresters in Montana, take a lot of pride in their work, and they point at the feds and say, oh, we're doing a better job than those guys are. Yeah. Um, I think what always, always gets lost in the shuffle is the federally managed lands are managed for everyone. Yeah. And the state managed lands, they have – typically one objective which is make us some money can i can i interrupt real quick just to clarify that my
0: old man was a golfer <laughs> my, my my dear bygone father was a golfer so i don't want to you know i don't want to speak ill of the dead
3: your dad did so like what kind of golfer are we talking about he had he a three, was i remember he had, a three, he had a three
0: he had a three-wheeled harley davidson golf cart i'll <laughs> tell you that that's interesting um all right anyways Cal, you're talking about the feds.
1: (laughs) No, I think you're right, though. It's not that, and the point isn't that state lands are bad. You know, it's not like, oh, state lands are bad. No, they serve a purpose. But the, the question is like, would you want all public land to go over to that bucket where you're taking what you're doing? And that bucket has a propensity
0: to tip over and get emptied.
1: Yeah, clear. Like, look at the records. Like, people are like, "No, it wouldn't get sold if it returns to the state." And I'm. That's why we're doing this. A lot of this work. it's work. Why like, just do look at the people records. say? Who's saying that? Why, why do I hear that from so many people? Well, because they're like, you know, they're. I, I have a. I have a way to say it, but it's probably not appropriate for your podcast. I don't give a shit. What is it? I think they're full of shit. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like no. I mean, they're just. I think it's dishonest, right? And that's what we try to point out. It's like um, you're saying that the states won't sell it. But then I'm looking over here at the data and the real estate transaction and lo and behold like it's been sold. It gets sold every year. Like so should I believe what you say or what's actually happened over the last, you know, 100 plus year history of state land management? Well, what I heard the other day was, well,
2: why don't we try something new and just like we transfer them but then we write in this rule that says they can't they're not state trust lands, they're not going to be sold. They're not there to make yeah. money that they should be is ke- actually kept as public
1: land. Yeah, no, that's that's where this whole so this issue is kind of like an amoeba. It's like just shape shifting. Like oh all the yeah, time, yeah. Right? It's like oh, and dodging bullets. Like oh, okay, we don't want to sell you know public lands. We'll we'll keep public lands public. Let's just like give all the management control to some right. county officials and like the timber industry, and the mining industry. How does that sit with you? So it's the same thing in some ways. It's even worse, right? It's like you're telling me that we're going to keep public land public, but we're going to take all the decision making authority out of the public hands. And the, I mean, I'm not talking about theoretical bills. These are actual bills that are in Congress right now um, that would cede management authority to a select group of people. So it's, it's like,
0: yeah, like the, there's like the recent piece. So there was a, a bill that was dismissed or withdrawn. that was just telling the department of the interior, um, like a, like a mandate to the, to the secretary of the interior that he had to dispose of 3 million acres. And then there was a, a, a sort of a, a cousin or sister piece of legislation to that that would strip away law enforcement capabilities. Still around. Oh uh, Yeah, the strip law enforcement capabilities away from federal agencies so that the BLM didn't have a law enforcement division. And when you get into that stuff, that's just being like... Uh, I, I equated it at one point to... Uh, me and my wife have an argument about whether or not a dishwasher is good to have or not, okay? And I, I say like, well, it's less efficient and doesn't work as well as washing it by hand. And my wife says, no, 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 no. Washing it by hand is less efficient and doesn't work as well as the dishwasher. If I were to go in and disable the dishwasher some way, like, like screw up the dishwasher, In order to make my idea, in order to make my argument more true, right? That's what, when people do this stuff like the law enforcement thing, they're so pissed and blinded by like hatred of federal land management that they're like, yeah, but it doesn't work this way, it doesn't work this way. And people are like, no, it actually works pretty well if you look at the alternative. It's like, oh, no, no, because wait, when I strip away law enforcement capabilities from these agencies, then you'll see that it doesn't work. Yeah, see <laughs> what happens then. Yeah, see, yeah. now tell me it doesn't work, because I'm going in and sabotaging the whole system to make what I say true. And this yeah. way, when there is a bunch of crime on federal land, I can go, see, see, you guys don't know how to manage. Well, that's what's been going on It's for like years. so cynical. Yeah. Oh, it's been going on for years with the It gives the, me the, the idea that I might go sabotage my dishwasher. <laughs> and then be like, ha, ah, the dishwasher doesn't work. Told you.
1: <laughs> be careful with that one, though. Because under the fire. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, it's like, uh, I think, you know, if you just look at the trajectory of this issue, like, it is moving away from, we're at a point now where where it's becoming less popular to be pro-sell-off public lands, yeah. right? Um, well, because
0: people are like calling truth to the bullshit man
1: oh for yeah lot, they, they they pulled this stuff for a long
0: time but just yeah. people weren't really like woken up to it
1: yeah know? but now it's becoming a it, the issue it hasn't gone away i think the folks are who are pushing this to become smarter more savvy and they're really pushing this like death of a thousand cuts of public land management right so it's about all right we're not going to get the, we're not going to get the big prize so let's focus on all these other things that can undercut the idea of public land yeah Let it's words. like what
0: animal rights people do to hunters
1: yeah yeah for sure you're
0: not going to get a law that says no hunting right but they're like but we probably could ban hunting lions with dogs
1: right or we you work around could, the edges. yeah we probably could yeah. ban
0: some like trapping
1: right right so then you got these bills where yeah these like bills like uh um Raoul labrador my my congressman has one called self sufficient community lands act and it's like up to four million acres of land in any state can be given to it stays public according to the bill um but there are like, it waives all conservation environmental laws and gives uh, decision-making afford- authority to like four people, like a county commissioner, yeah. somebody from the logging the mining industry and somebody from the timber industry and like a motorized recreation person. So in some ways, it's, you know, I feel that I almost view that as like more insulting. Um, so you're like, oh no, we're going to keep it public, but like you have no say in it anymore. And it moves from multiple use to like single use.
3: But this is the same one where the, if in the event of a major catastrophe, the fed
1: federal government, Pays for it, so the people. Oh yeah, so yeah, we still pay for like firefighting and everything. So we're like right. your tax dollars are still like in the bill for like roads, infrastructure, and everything. So how does that fit it, for you? But isn't that what what kind of like what wound up
0: happening with Wyoming? Whereas Wyoming looked at this idea, like because because of the what's being discussed, the state of Wyoming took a look at like what would it mean for us? Yeah, if we were to assume management of the federal land. That they're talking about and they looked at just the firefighting yeah. budget alone and decided
1: you know what i think we're going to pass on this one. Oh, it would bankrupt denny's i mean a big fire would wipe us out so this, yeah like in, to put that in like financial terms like uh state of idaho last this is not last this last year but the year before budgeted like 50 million dollars for the state to fight fire right we had one fire in north idaho called the Cameo complex it like doubled it was at least double the amount of money the state had had budgeted now when the state like what do you do then right it's like oh well the fire was 50 we budgeted 50 million dollars that's how much we got and it cost us 100 million dollars you can't spend more than you have in a state right constitutions require you to balance your budget so you either got to like that's why up, you
0: always have these emergency school closings and budget right. co- yeah it's like there's no like, there's no buffer there's no hard
1: times buffer right so like imagine if like the state had a bunch of public land up there You know, they got a couple options. One, they can start taking money from teachers to pay for firefighting costs, right? That's going to be a real popular move for a politician. Or you can start selling some land to pay for your costs.
0: How well do you you understand the Elliott State Forest thing? Because there's a nice concrete example that people might understand.
1: uh, I understand it like casually i'm not super tuned into the elliot i mean i know what's going on but i wouldn't call myself like a subject matter expert in the elliot i mean what do you have there i can try and explain it yeah
0: because so I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think of a good point where you say like here's a piece of ground that the state held yeah. and then they had a reason why they had to dump it
1: yeah so the state elliot state forest like 82,000 acres roughly in oregon um it's a, a, a piece of ground owned by the state um and they it has been for various reasons not Making as much money as the state claims it needs to make, and so they are in a position right now of trying to sell it off, um, because for no other reason than their constitution mandates that they maximize revenue generation off state ground. And this particular piece of ground, and I don't know, I don't understand why, is not they don't feel, some politicians feel like it is not maximizing uh, revenue for the beneficiaries for the school trusts. So they're looking at selling it off be- for that very reason. And it's got people real riled up because a lot of people like to use it for recreationally used, hunters, fishermen, I guess, and uh, whatever else people do on public land, hula hoop, hula hoopers. It's
0: just, but it's so, like, it's so like weirdly short-sighted and frivolous when people look at a piece of ground and they go like, well, what's it doing for me right now?
1: Yeah, I know, yeah
0: because we'll sell it and get like a one-time payment. It was like, oh, is your, is your state like set to cease to exist at some point in time in the future? Yeah. The
1: other, the other interesting thing is we found, so we did some, we did some digging around in Idaho looking at uh, state land sales and most constitutions, uh, our, mine in Idaho too, we have, there's a cap on when the, when the people that formed our state, they're like, we're going to cap the amount of land any one person can buy, any state land at 100, or 320 acres and 160 acres. Oh, 320 oh, acre- back, back to that. I don't understand that. So, the, the folks, when they when they formed the state of Idaho, they okay. were worried about land barons because, remember, oh, this is late I 1800s. See, I, I see, I see. The era of the land baron, right? Timber barons were, were sort of gobbling up all the land. And so, a we lot of- We had
0: like a single individual who owns vast portions of a certain state and winds up having undue influence on correct. all aspects of the state. Yeah. yeah
1: And the folks, they also, when they were like, well, we're getting these state parcels from the federal government, but- that are meant to benefit schools. What we don't want is some like politician who's in the pocket of like, at the time it was a timber industry, who's in the pocket of the timber industry to uh, decide that it's a good idea to liquidate all these lands. And then you have you know the one guy that can afford it coming in and like buying up all the land. So they were trying to prevent mass divestiture of state lands. So they put these caps on how much land could be sold in any one year in any one individual or business, right? And so then I got curious. So I started looking around a little bit and to see whether or not that cap had been violated. Because I noticed, like, a long time ago, companies like Boise, uh, Boise Cascade and Pilot Timber Company had bought like tens of thousands of acres of state land. And I was like, huh, I thought you could only buy like 320 acres of state land. So I started getting the records and just kind of out of curiosity looking, and we found. Uh, What appear to be um a fairly serious set of constitutional violations out idaho's history of uh, people exceeding that cap going back how far and then to like like the early 1900s from like early 1900s to like the early 70s so like long period of time most of it happened a long time ago but um and it's real hard to prove but we you know i spent months going over this data working with the state to say, am I reading this correctly? Like, tell me I'm wrong. Surely you haven't violated the constitution, your own constitution, and selling more state land than the constitution allows you to do. And they didn't have an explanation. So eventually we kind of went public with some of this stuff, and the state is now, the uh, state of Idaho go, has hired an independent auditor to go back and see whether or not the land board of the state has violated the state constitution in terms of state land sales. And how many instances? Three hundred. 300, sep- 300. 300 separate separate instances. And what would happen is it's really interesting. You see, like uh, you'd see like um, uh, several individuals, private individuals, all deeding the same say, deeding land to the same company, like on the same day. Okay. So what we think was happening, my my hunch, they're doing like a shell game. Totally. Yeah. They're sending out like somebody'd be like, ah, oh, we're gonna bring it. They'll they'll you know put it out in the paper, hire like twenty people, go have them go out buy land, and then wait a little bit, and then have them deed it back to you. Yep. And that, and that is like, it's illegal for sure. But it's hard to, uh, it would have been hard at the time to enforce or know that it was happening, um, I imagine. But uh, certainly in the 1970s, they should have been able to figure that out. So, so.
0: do you have any sense w- with the stuff you found? Um, do you have any sense, is there would there be any real repercussions from this or would it just be more of a soul-searching, fact-finding mission? Yeah, that's
1: kind of the question did you right now. Um, Ultimately, the buck stops with our land board, which is made up comprised of our governor, our attorney general, and uh, a couple other folks, superintendent of public schools. I don't know what the ramifications would be. I asked a couple lawyers that. Most of these transactions happen with uh, folks that are no longer on the land board. A lot of them are no longer with us. So I don't know. The real question is whether or not those people that bought land illegally, essentially, if you think about it, if, it was, if these, these two do turn out to be constitutional violations, there's no statute of limitations on a constitutional violation, right? Okay. So if you bought state land un, you know, uh, and illegally and violated the constitution, does that land then have to go back to the state? that's where it could get real interesting real fast. And I don't have any interest in like pushing that. Like my whole angle on this is just like, hey, if you think you can trust the state to not sell your public land and follow the law, like here's 300 cases where we're not so sure they even could follow the own, their own constitution. And it's not a unique case. I mean, this is not something that I think is unique to Idaho either. So it's something to keep in no mind. No one's just done any digging like that in Montana or Colorado. Not yet, but I people are on it so it's it's a lot of work i mean this is i mean this is a lot of research and Mm -hmm. a lot of digging around in old records that uh takes a long time so but i I think people are going to start uncovering a lot of stuff and this is what i mean it's like the history of you know lands in general in the west is not any surprise it's a tale of corruption right people are always trying to get their hands on more land and um and that's you know to me one of the greatest things about having our public land stay public is you don't have to worry about like you know robber barons trying to come in and gobble up all the resources like we all own it right now it's working okay you know it's not perfect not a perfect system but uh, if you think that you're going to give it to the states transfer it to them and that that's just you know everything's going to be just the same you might want to think twice and just look at the data and the facts.
3: What do you think about all that Cal Ann? I'm constantly amazed by all this stuff the (laughs) <laughs> Raul Labrador thing that should be plenty of a eye opening awakening for everybody in the U.S. This is ground that we all own. Uh, this guy is proposing that we cede a chunk of it to the state of Idaho. They can do whatever they want with it. Right now, the, they may say, you know, we can go out there and play on it, but really, it's for resource extraction but if things don't go well and there's some major catastrophe everybody in the you nation can, can pay back. for it <laughs> yeah it's like oh gosh if there's something you know that we're not willing to pay for then the feds will come in and pay for it so if you're in you know new jersey right now that's your land to play on but if this were to happen you probably won't get a- be able to play on it but you're damn sure going to be able to pay for it your taxes. Yeah. It's it's an amazing
1: thing. And can I talk about Zinke real quick too? Yeah, I think man. that's interesting. So Zinke for voted for that bill as a congressman and he got absolutely like hammered by it by you uh some of you folks in Montana. Um I'm not in Montana. No I was looking at Yanni oh, over there, Yanni. yeah. <laughs> and Callahan he still claimed Montana as your
0: I, I I certainly don't give up the uh phone number. Yeah. <laughs> no, I got I got a Montana phone number from yeah, I had one of the first phone, cell phones that I think ever was produced. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to get rid of. <laughs> yeah. No, I've never changed my phone number. I don't like change my email address. Nope. Someone yeah. was recently trying to get me to change my
1: email address. I'm like, yeah, uh, uh-huh. it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Anyhow, so yeah, so um, I don't know if you want to talk about Zinky at all, but like that's really interesting tie too. Kind of having like Zinky, a Secretary of Interior guy who has a fairly spotty record on this issue um i don't think people really understand like how spotty it is if you go looking back um you mean you mean spotty in that
0: since since assuming his position now he's articulated a certain viewpoint and you feel that his past record doesn't his viewpoint is not reflected here's
1: what i think i think you should evaluate politicians not just politicians this is a good rule for evaluating people in general okay later but uh Evaluate people by what they do, not what they say, right? So if you say that, you know, like Ryan zinke has got, he's been saying the right thing, support, keeping public lands public. But if you look at how he voted, different story a little bit, right? So he voted for this bill to give 4 million acres in each state to the states. Okay. Um, now, people can change. I want to give them credit. I want yeah, to give their, them the cha- you know, change. Their
0: positions like, change and sort of their mandates change and they get uh, appointed to carry out different missions
1: correct so like i want to give him like he has an opportunity to prove himself but i'm just saying if you look at what he's done versus what he's said
0: yeah i'm with you i'm
1: not there yet where i'm like uh,
0: no I, t- I totally understand where you're coming from man it's
1: like i i want to believe him i'm gonna say yeah, i'm just yep, trying to i'm
0: trying to stay very optimistic
1: yeah Yeah, that's a good place to be. (laughs) I've been doing this too long, man. You've Uh, lost lost all that. All All that got
0: beat out of your head. Yeah, yeah. All right.
1: So, 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 break it down there. He he voted for this transfer to Idaho. No, it was the bill applies to all states. It's four million acres in any state that wants to do it. Okay. Basically, the way the bill reads, it's like if you have a governor in a state that has public land. And that governor decides, yes, I want up to 4 million acres of land. He gets to choose that. It's totally at the governor's why discretion. Why is that?
0: Can, can we do a side note here? Yeah. And I don't know if you, okay. Why is there no push for land transfer in the eastern U.S.? Is it just because, because if you look at the upper Great Lakes states, for instance, have a tremendous amount of national forest land. Yeah, they do. It came about in a different way. Like so much of those national forests in the east, like in, in my home state, a lot of the national forests Rather than sort of just like by default belonging to the federal government all along, it was the federal government was buying up chunks of land Hmm. that was basically being forfeited by homesteader individuals. Oh, yeah. So people were getting land, defaulting on debt, right? They're like applying for homestead lands, farm parcels, and then economic hard times came about or all the giant fires that just destroyed the upper Great Lakes after the logging boom. People were walking away from land and the federal government was bailing people out by basically acquiring it, just burned over scarred land, acquiring it for you know fractions of its what would be its value today. And they built up, they would designate these, they would drop these chunks of ground and be like, hey, we're gonna make this, everything in here can become part of this national forest. As it comes up for sale, no one wants it. Or if it's abandoned and just has back taxes, we'll assume it and buy it up. And they started patching together these patchwork national forests that I, that I grew up, you know, 0.8 miles from one. Um, but why is there never any rhetoric there? There is actually. There is rhetoric. Yeah, about for dumping. sure. Like uh, now they'd be like, not, you know
1: what? Now let's get rid of it. There, we, so there have been, so 17 states have introduced what we would, I would characterize as anti-public lands bills. Um, so you know, that includes, uh, like Tennessee, I think, uh, I'd have to have a list in front of me, but Tennessee, I don't want to say like Georgia and like South Carolina, some of these coast states. Um, but you don't, it's certainly a Western centric issue because that's where most of the public lands in America mm-hmm. are located. I also think the folks that are pushing this issue, they want to, they want to compartmentalize it. They want to keep, keep it a Western issue. Cause I think that's where folks have the most frustration with federal government okay. and they want to kind of keep eastern politicians out of it like this is not your issue this is our issue out here so i don't want to hear your opinion you know you Mm -hmm. guys in the east even though they all own it right it's everybody's land it's to the political advantage i think to the folks pushing it the rob bishops of the world to keep it sort of um keep it a western focused issue i also think my theory too is that folks in the east and the west uh I i don't think they have the level of frustration maybe anger that a lot of folks out west do with public lands just because it's not, I don't know Michigan per se, but like you don't have, I don't know of many counties in like Midwest and the East where public land counts for like 60, 70, 80% of the the land in the county. So like the tax base issue, that's a real issue too, you know, out in the West, like having enough land to be able to uh, uh, charge income tax on to pay for teachers, you know, just county services, roads, that kind of thing. So so there's all these things kind of, and I also think too that like, Folks in the East and the Midwest, like because they don't have as much public land, they also like cherish it a little bit more too. I think if It'd you be a much harder fight. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so for sure. It's like, why would you want to get rid of that like place? I take my family camping once a year. I kind of like that place, you know. Um, whereas out eat out in the West, it's like you know you almost like most people just aren't aware that like public land is just it's everywhere around you, so you just take it for granted. Like people don't. I, I would. I think you you probably wouldn't be surprised, but I am often continually surprised that people are not aware that they might be surrounded by public land. They might go camping all the time, fishing, hiking, park their car, shoot their gun, whatever, and they just don't even think that that's public land. Um, they're just like, I just go and use no, it. No, that's how we perceived it. We grew up around a lot of public land. And we you just were aware it of it?
0: it? We thought it fell from the like it was like it fell from the sky,
1: <laughs> manna from heaven.
0: No, dude, we had no like <laughs> notion that it was a thing people like fought for. Yeah, I didn't, and I yeah. talked about yeah. and tried to create this system that yeah. was like this great repudiation of European oppression and then the aristocracy. No, he saw it was like a bunch of shit. You could go and shoot guns <laughs> on and ride around.
3: Yeah, because on a small level, it's you not like trout. your your dad was like guys. Here's the deal. He thought it this fell. is why we're going out. Here. He thought it fell
0: from outer space too.
1: <laughs> it just I, was, it just what it always was. always no, was. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't know. It goes back to that thing. Like people don't realize who, who gave them a benefit. Uh, although I argue most people now seem to be that are in the public lands world seem to be aware that Teddy Roosevelt is largely responsible for giving, giving public lands to us, but they do know again, who's trying to take that away from him. So, Everybody knows who Jason Chaffetz is now, right? Yeah,
0: that's, that's the thing. nobody used to know who he was. <laughs> no, no, he's become famous now outside of his own state. But that's—I would like to, like, I would really like to, like, take a just drive around, like, have a burger with Bishop, Rob Bishop, and Chaffetz, Jason, because I was like, I honestly want to know, like, I honestly want, like, what, like, if you look at a mountain, if you look at like a mountain it's a non-developed, non-road, does it the it make you angry? Like, do you hate it? You're like, oh, I hate that mountain. (laughs) I wish it had like his, I think they
2: do hate the fact that it's not producing
0: more at the moment. For the guys that give them money.
2: Well, for I think yeah, well yes, but I think they pitch it as in like well, everybody that lives here. I don't know how they would designate like who, who gets it to get their chunk, right? It's like if you live in the county or the state or whatever. But they're just like, well, it's not producing anything. If we did something with it, then we could just like hand out this money or hand out jobs, you know? To- yeah,
0: yeah. I'm not naive enough to think that they look at a mountain and hate it. No, like I know that that's not true. But I, I just like wonder like what like what is it? You know, like I, what is it? Cause I, 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 like, I used to view the world more like there was like, evil people and not evil people. But then now I realize that it's not really a very constructive, realistic way of viewing it. It's actually a lot more complicated than that. So, but I can't know. like Without knowing them, without hanging out with them, I can't know. Right. Because uh, hanging out with someone, you learn a lot about them in a hurry. Yeah, well, you should their, do. Their
2: temperament. Is uh, going on like, a three-day backpacking hunt.
0: I then, don't know if they'd then, make it. No, Rob Bishop wouldn't make it. But then you I don't know, know if they'd but, make it. But
2: you'd know. I and, uh, heard a
0: rumor. I don't know if it's true. I heard a, a rumor about the dog, there. when he when yeah. he pulled his piece of legislation and it was him with a hunting dog, I heard a rumor. Not like I said. That's I heard a, a rumor about picture. that dog. No. I heard a rumor about that dog. Let your imagination go where it will. The dog came out? <laughs> no. I heard a
1: rumor about that dog that I'm not going to share because it's hearsay. <laughs> I will tell you this. like I've I, I've spent a lot of time with elected officials, and and I I sort of gave up on like caring about like their motivations. They just have a lot of a lot of. Well, how can you
0: say that? Because I want to know. Like I don't. I just don't think. Like I I, I'm never going to accept. They're they're like I was like good people who care about who love their children, care about their state, patriotic. Yeah. Okay. Want the best for for their country. I'm I'm uh, making this assumption. So what is it? Why do you hate that shit so bad?
1: I I think, no, it's just, it's not that they hate it. I think it's just not a priority for them. And they just, they have a particular worldview that is very dogmatic. Like if you, if you spend, I can say this, I don't think Raul Labra is going to listen to your podcast. Maybe he's your biggest fan, but let's just assume Raul, I've spent enough time with Raul to know that Raul has a view of the world that is like, this is the way it is. I don't like, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think. I have my beliefs and like, you're wrong. And like, I'm right. I don't just, that's where, that's where it starts and ends. So like, it's hard if you try, I mean, you could, you could spend so much time trying to understand where these guys come from and it would drive you nuts because the folks that are really, now, now I'm not saying Rob Bishop is that way, but I'm saying some of these folks, like they come at it from a very black and white view of the world and there isn't room for like, oh, maybe you've got a point there. It's like, no. You're wrong, yeah. Steve. Let me tell you why you're wrong. That mountain right there should be doing more than it's doing. It's like just sitting there, yeah. doing nobody any favors up there, You know, giving me the stink eye when we could put a theme park up there. And I think that's better. And you're wrong, and I'm right. Yeah. Because okay. you could
0: have a world view. You could have a national view that the government is meant to, faci- not, to stand, not to impede, but is meant to facilitate and provide a safe environment for business transactions. And to have a guy be like, hey, man, I can come out. I'll create 100 jobs for the next three years. I'm going to gouge that motherfucker out and pull some minerals out of there. I'm ready to write checks. And there's someone who'd be like, well, it ain't doing nothing. This could put it to use. And my thing that I always feel is like, oftentimes that becomes a very short-sighted thing. Yeah, for sure. Someone says to me, Yeah, I noticed you're not using that toolbox right now. I'll give you five bucks for that toolbox right now. I'm like, Sold! Because right now I'm not using that toolbox. Then tomorrow I'm like, God damn, my toolbox. Need that toolbox back. (laughs) Praise the law. I have my toolbox.
3: In the whole damn system, uh, this is an altruistic view, but this is certainly the way it was explained to me, you know, in my first government class when I was at Tyke is these people are there, you know, kind of damn their opinions to a certain degree. They're there to represent the people within their district. And so everybody within that district better want to gouge the shit out of that mountain too, or at least the majority. Yeah. And they can take their opinions, what they say to their buddies behind closed doors, and sh- stick it up their butt. But there's also
0: like the donor factor. Because like, yeah. well, you remember, this is a very small thing, but it kind of made a national thing where where when, so, so when, uh, when Michael Bloomberg left left his he gave up his you know was done turned out on being the mayor of New York uh, a, a guy came in named Bill de Blasio and became the mayor of New York one of the first things Bill de Blasio does we talked about this yesterday one of the first things Bill de Blasio does is he comes out and says from now on no horse you can't give horse rides in Central Park one of the first things he did now do you think anyone in New York if you were to pull the 8 million or 13 million, whatever the hell number of people live in New York, gives a shit. Like they'd look at be like, a lot of the horse has got a job. He's well fed. He's got like a great stable. He's got great veterinarian care, right? It seems to be like, it seems to be like, if you're going to be a horse, that's not a bad horse to be. So, but one of the first things he does is like, can't have horse rides in Central Park. It's mean for the horses. you know, that that was some guy gave that guy some money when he was running and gave him some backing and gave him some support and that was the deal they made there's a guy because that law, shit yeah. did not come from public opinion. It you don't never think two came. Two million
2: up. people called or emailed and
1: said those horses.
2: I feel bad awful. for those horses. Little Central kids Park. riding.
1: There's a guy with like a llama, a llama, horses. a llama carrier business who's like paying him under the table. Get rid yeah. of those damn horses, I'll man! A llamas. In. up the place So too, I'm saying, yeah. but <laughs> it isn't
0: like it's not always. It's not always that this is the the rising tide of popular sentiment. No, it yeah. sometimes yeah. is. You make arrangements. Mm-hmm. And, and it takes money to win an elected office yeah. in this country. You make arrangements with people and then you need to fulfill and make certain deals, right? And that just, uh, it's not like, oh, because my constituents are all, uh, uh, when they look at all the problems in New York, the thing that they've isolated as the real pressing issue is horse rides <laughs> in Central Park. We
1: got to fix it's it. It's just
0: that it's like a thing. He's like, yeah, hey, okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll do something about it. But uh, you know, you got do something for me.
1: That was the third leg of his political stool, too. It's like, it's like education, health and horses in yeah, Central Park. And, and making... Uh, the, make yeah, it. no, like, for sure. Like, money matters. I mean, I guess... I guess let me just say this way. Like, I... I learned doing this work like i could spend an inordinate amount of time trying to understand like the motivation of of some politicians some politicians i would say are very open to listening and understanding some are not and the ones i feel like are not like i don't feel like it's a productive use of my time to invest in understanding why i just view it as like this is where they're at and this is what there's, we need to and do you think there's no moving them some of them no absolutely not no and like, I know really? you're looking at me like, like this guy's cynical, man. No, He's, no, no, no. It's <laughs> interesting. It's
0: interesting. So you don't think, because if you're going to do I think you persuasion, need a, if you're yeah. going to persuade, you know what you, I think?
1: A oh, part of persuading is, is being able to articulate to them their viewpoint. So I think what will persuade them is if they see people with similar opinions as them starting to get lo- uh, losing office. Yeah. That will catch your attention real fast because that is what, you know, if you're, and I'm speaking in general terms, but it's like you start kicking guys out of office who are anti-public lands because of their, anti- their public land stance. Oh yeah, you better, you better watch people just starting to change their opinion real fast. But if you try and like just convince them on the merits, some people can be persuaded. You know, I'm not saying it can't, but there are some folks who I think, uh, I think Raul is one of them. Like if you spend any time with the guy, you'll know what I mean. Like you're not going to persuade the guy on your opinion, he doesn't. But, but politicians
0: gonna, like, do get their opinions changed because sure. just just look at we're we're a yeah. hundred days into the Trump administration. He felt that Hillary Clinton should be prosecuted. Now feels she should not be prosecuted. He felt that we should. Disalign with NATO, now feels that it's a powerful ally of ours. He thought that enhanced torture or enhanced interrogation techniques were a really good idea, campaigned on it, and then turned around and said that it, based on further analysis and conversations he's had with experts in the intelligence community, he feels that it might not be the best strategy to extract information from people. That's not because he sees presidents losing elections. Yeah. It's because he's having conversations with people who are saying, here's how I'm looking at it.
1: Well, they're not all, like, people are not people all... People change their minds. Absolutely, but they're not all the same either. They're, what motivates them is not all the same. I, could, I think you can make an argument that, like, someone like Donald Trump, like, he can, um, he can be influenced on some issues, just like everybody, but he has a different way of making up his mind than others. Now, someone like Raul, just as an example, like, Raul can change his mind, but I have seen some people, I'm not going to name names or companies, but I have seen some people that I would consider very much a part of his base, who have a lot of money and a lot of power, unable to move him on issues, very simple issues, because he's like, no, this is what I believe. Really? Yes, and they're big donors, and they so, have. So lots you're saying of power. not even
0: change in his mind for wealthy people who have influence?
1: Yeah. There's this one. There's an industry. Uh, um, yeah, I probably shouldn't even say it.
0: Plush but- toys?
1: <laughs> How'd you guess? <laughs> but, like went to Raul, They're like, hey, we got this issue, and we want you to like vote our way. And I only know this because I'm friends with this guy in this industry, and they they are very powerful in the state of Idaho, okay. one of the most powerful industries. And you know, Rebel's like, I don't really believe in that. Sorry. Really? Yeah. And that's not. I'm not saying that's indicative of like you know, he's he's unique, but there are not. He's not alone.
0: Almost makes me. Almost makes me respect him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't say that. Respect stupid. that aspect. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah. like people. No, for I, sure. like, I like. I see what you're saying. I like
0: people who. It's like there's two kinds of people. There's people that think you can break everybody down into two yeah, groups. Yeah. There's people that don't. No. It's like, it's like I like the guy who can, who can hear about something and be like, yeah, that's a good damn point. Yeah. I changed my mind. I also like the guy who's like, uh-uh. Never. I know what I know. Hey, everybody. I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months... I've become friends with, and my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp phenomenal hunting knives if you want to see them in action we just did uh me and uh john hayes the taxidermist just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear um watch that video and in that video you'll see montana knife company knives in action mkc products usually sell out in minutes of being released which is true but now for the first time they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now, you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER, and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley, and you can pay a little at a time, until it's yours forever here's the cool part say you're renting a 65 inch smart tv and decide you don't want it anymore at errands you can return it at any time or maybe you want to downsize to a 55 inch or upgrade to an 86 inch you can do that too return it then take home something new life's always changing with errands your stuff can change right along with it keep it return it upgrade it Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. You can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code, the code being MEATEATER orderframes.com promo code meat eater for sure yeah i, I kind of like that yeah, guy
1: yeah <laughs> yeah no so i'm not saying they can't be changed they can't minds can't be changed but what i'm saying is like if i've got time if i'm working on an issue and i'm like Raoul's on one side and i got i'm like working on this side over here like i can invest time trying to figure out the way his mind works or i can just spend time trying to win and i'd rather okay. spend my time trying to win uh, I know you're a curious guy, so you like... No, but, I don't want to
0: interrupt you anymore on this. I want you to lay no, out your approach
1: about why you don't care. Uh, why, <laughs> like, why... No, I, I know. I want you to lay out your approach about why the, the motivations don't matter. Well, they do, but uh, this is just like... You're, you're just like my personal opinion of like, if... You're talking about motivations for public lands?
0: No, you're saying... No, I, I just like continue with your thought that, that you tried to bring up 20 minutes ago. <laughs> that at a point... I don't you're saying it doesn't matter what he thinks when he looks at a a, a
1: a piece of undeveloped ground. Yeah, it just like that's his opinion and there are ways to change his opinion, but like if I am let's say because we I you know, run a campaign that's all over the country, right? And we have we're trying to uh, let's say try and get ex congressman to vote a certain way on a certain bill. Okay. Um, he might have we know his opinion, we know his voting record, we know what he said in the public. And so I don't invest a lot of time into thinking to worrying about what he thinks. I will get a base if I know he's a guy who cares about other people think, that's important to know because that influences my strategy. If I know that he can't be influenced by, you know, his his base or his big donors, like that's also important to know. And if I realize that like a guy like Raul, like no one's going to get to him, the only way you're going to get to him is with like, you know, hardball politics. It's like, great, that'll influence how we approach him. Uh, a guy like Chaffetz, who I would argue does care what people think about him. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot, it tells me a lot about how I'm gonna approach a guy like that too. Um, uh doesn't care much for dogs or good camo. We also know that, right? <laughs> uh, so that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's not that it doesn't matter, yeah. but I also just like, you know, you could just invest endless amount of time trying to understand why people like think a certain way. And at the end of the day, like, um, I think we should all, it doesn't mean we shouldn't have conversations about like why public about public lands and try and understand each other. That's great. Um, but you know, this public lands issue is a, uh, in, in many ways, I do think it's a war over like this birthright that we've been given. And when you're in a war side situation, man, you got to like fight fire with fire sometimes. And that's how you're going to, you know, Win on this issue, so I know that sounds like super cynical in some ways. When I say it, when, I, sound, when, when I say it out loud, I'm like, I'm like, man, yeah, because I think that it. like
0: people have guiding principles. Now, uh, like I, I spent a lot of my life um, studying, practicing, uh, you know, rhetoric. Okay, yeah. So just uh, just a native interest in rhetoric. Okay, how how do people uh, give persuasive arguments and be persuaded? Okay, and there's a lot of things. There's a lot of issues in my life that I have moved 180 degrees on. Same here. Yeah. But I'm telling you, um, when I, like you have guiding principles, okay? And a guiding principle mind, like I think a litmus test for me, when I look at an issue is I'm always going to ask myself, like I'm going to ask myself, what's uh, on land issues, wildlife issues. I'm always going to ask myself, like what's best for hunters, fishermen and wildlife? and public lands. Like what's best for this entire package? And I'm going to weigh that out and ask that question and that's going to be my guiding thing. I cannot picture someone coming up and and I I just don't think there's an argument out there that would pull me away from that.
1: Yeah, but you got to understand too, like you're a, um, you put more thought into how you approach issues than most Americans, I would say. People react, tend, tend to react to issues emotionally, not logically, right? So, think of um how people react to just to bring up a touchy subject that we talked about last night wolves people react to wolves with an emotional response like somewhere right yeah and the same thing is true with politics so we you know i don't think we're gonna win on this public lands issue with like a logical argument like we need to you articulate out, those yeah, yeah. You, we need to have an emotional you are never
0: gonna be like oh yeah Yeah. i just right. hadn't thought yeah, about I that the whole thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <How> <laughs> was I ta- what was I talking
1: about? <laughs>
0: oh, I didn't realize that point. Thank you for pointing it out. Like, I changed my mind. Let me go. I'm gonna, I'll be back at five. <laughs> got to withdraw some legislation. Talked about it all that long, and I didn't
3: see that particular graph, <laughs> that bar graph.
1: Yeah, and I feel like that's a shortcoming of, like, this is a shortcoming of, like, educated folks in general. It's like mm-hmm. we, we assume a worldview that's like, if we could just talk some sense into these people, they'll get it. Like if I, if Ryan and I could just sit across the table and have a beer, and just talk it through, like you're gonna come along and see why I'm right eventually here. And it's yeah, like no, yeah, yeah. you need an emotional like we need like you know, there needs to be a response to like this whole Bundy and not to go down a dark path, but like the Bundy situation. It's like people were angry, like right? They're like pounding the table. I am pissed off at this situation, right? That's yeah. why they the folks who went out to mal here, right, wrong, or indifferent, they felt a certain way and you can't tell them that wrong, their feelings are wrong, right? That's how I think we're, we need to approach this public lands issues. Is you need to strike an emotional chord with people, help them understand emotionally why this matters to them. Um, because at the end of the day, like that is how, because think about it this way too. Again, it's like public lands have existed so far because theoretically the American public want them to exist. They will only continue existing into the future to the extent that the American public Like them, understand them, appreciate them, and are willing to stand up to fight for them when they're under attack, like they are now. That is a challenge we have because I can tell you there is a shocking amount of the population that has no idea what public lands are. And if they don't know what they are, why are you going to stand up and protect them when they're threatened? You're not. You should be like, "Eh, I don't even know what those are. Whatever, something going on in the West. You know, I've got my like kids to deal with right now. Um, So there has to be, you know, again, this is like bigger picture like thirty thousand foot level but that's how we've got to approach this public lands issue if we're gonna win on in the long run
0: and i think it's important to remember it was it was contentious and divisive at the time oh god the national yeah. forest system there was like when teddy roosevelt did like one of his biggest single creations of national forest land there was legislation coming that was going to ban him from doing it again and he knew he couldn't defeat it. He didn't have the votes. He he couldn't veto because he didn't have the votes to override. Yeah. Or they were going to override yep. the veto. Yep. He had till midnight on some night. So he sits down, I, I think, with Gifford Pinchot and some others, and they drew up what's called the Midnight Forest because they were up till midnight. Declares uh, what, what do you make like seventeen forests or something. Yeah, the forest,
1: forest service system we know today. Yeah,
0: millions of acres of land finalizes that and then signs a bill saying he'll never do it again.
1: Yeah, crafty move.
0: The Midnight Forest.
1: Yeah, it's a good story. Have you read The Big it's Burn?
0: Phenomenal story. No, I haven't read that. Uh,
1: Big Burn, that's good. You read that book about North Idaho Forest and sort of the creation of the forest service system. Uh, um, Tim Egan is not paying me to plug his book, by the way, but it's a good read. And if you read it, and you'll be at the politics of the time, You could you could transfer... That, that time in the early 19, uh, early nineteen hundreds. So like right now, it's like people are upset about the way you know land yeah. is managed, and like people are fighting over resources. It's like it's like going back in time, but it's like exactly the same.
0: But here's my question: Why is it so? Roosevelt did that. And people were pissed. Okay, uh, business interests. All, all the same. All the same business interests. Mining industry, logging industry, pissed. Um. Then something happens. And we go and carve his image into a giant mountain that gets visited by millions of people every summer. And he has, you know, 21 whatever number of biographies written about him by some of the most influential historians. If you poll Americans, he's among the top five or top seven most popular presidents of all time. We have kind of decided that that was a good move Right. You don't just get your face carved in the damn mountain for nothing. It was his hallmark thing. So we as a nation sit back and go, some bitch, he was <laughs> visionary. Yeah. Visionary. What a tri- what a phenomenal like who was this guy? Let's celebrate him and, and write books about him for a long time. And then uh we'll start a bunch of shit to undo what he did. Like, how can we occupy both of these spaces as an as a nation? I don't know. man. Every politician yeah. in the country would love to be favorably compared to Roosevelt.
1: Oh yeah, real popular. That's that's what I, mean, I hear Zinke say that all the time. I'm a TR Republican. It's a popular. Let's thing. see it. Let's see it, man. Yeah, prove it. Let's see it. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question,
0: dude. It's just, it's like, it's like. <sighs>
1: It boggles my mind. Well you get you get rewarded, I think as a politician for like creating things. Um, right? It's like nobody you don't hear many people say they regret the national park system, right? I don't see many people like sitting around the coffee table. It's like, God damn it. Well I do, because you what do. I think <laughs> is Oh, we got one right here. <laughs>
0: there should be a thing called the Yellowstone Super Tag.
1: <laughs> oh kay? no, I'm on board with this. That's a good idea. A Yellowstone actually. super
0: tag. And it's a lottery draw. Is this for tourists or for animals? No, the Yellowstone Super Tag big game on, and, and no one can go there at all except for the Super Tag holder. You see, and it's five, six. You do a drawing, you get a you, the Yellowstone Super Tag big game tag.
1: That's what I think they'll be doing with that yeah. part. I can get behind that. You want me to work on that one? <laughs> pick that. Pick that. Float that idea and see how that you get a month a cabin
0: on. and a hot spring.
1: And I did call in. Uh, I called in a couple uh, a couple of turkeys in Zion a couple of weeks ago. Did you really? Yeah, just with my mouth. I can actually yeah call them in. So and they uh, they've never heard the crack of a shotgun. No, they were pretty tame actually. Yeah. But they, I mean, they were wild, but they were kind of tame. But
0: you know, you what know, we we're just talking about Yanni. Tell about where you were. Uh, without giving away too many details, explain the the uh the place you were just hunting turkeys and sort of the 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 weird uh the weird collection of critters sharing the ground where you're just hunting turkeys
2: mm. yeah we were getting ready in the mud room of this fellow's cabin putting our gear on and uh he starts doling out bear spray i'm like what bear, bear we're turkey hunting you yeah. dumbass. <laughs> we're like I'm like looking out across a green meadow and I can see a few houses around and there's I'm guessing I don't know three or four hundred acres we might be hunting that then borders some public land we might be hunting and uh just horses around and he's like yeah right now there's probably no place in the lower 48 where grizzly bears are thicker more and this guy's a grizzly
0: bear researcher
2: yeah no he deals with you know bear human interactions uh, well alright that's interesting and then uh what was the other animal? We were ta- oh, yeah. so they're Eastern turkeys. Yeah, yeah Eastern wild turkeys. So we started looking turkeys. at gobblers that are eating on this uh, haystack that we couldn't hunt on. Had to wave and of come off, and we're looking, we're like, man, look at those tails. There's like no buff band at all. There's just brown. And we started looking around, and sure enough, uh, the Merriam's didn't take. And so hmm. they, the next time they try to um, transplant something, they did Easterns. So now you got eastern turkeys, grizzly bears.
0: Eastern turkeys that are getting preyed on by lynx. Yeah. Lynx. <laughs> in grizzly bear country. Yeah.
2: There's wolverines running around that country. I mean, we we're on the edge of the bob. We were looking at at um, you know, you can look up in the mountains and
0: see, you know, the edge of the bob marshall wilderness. Those turkeys like, bring me back to Missouri, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather deal with that. I don't know, man. I'd probably rather face, I'd probably rather get away from coyotes and deal if I was a turkey I'd rather be in Lynx country not that there's any shortage of coyotes in that area
2: yeah than to have the, uh, the um, woodsmen and good old boys of Missouri
0: chasing after you all yeah, spring that's, yeah they, that's a different grade that's a different grade of turkey hunter down there as far, right. as, as, far as skill sets go man yeah yeah a Montana turkey not to, not to dig on the, the west but like hunting turkeys in the west not hunting turkeys in the east no
2: one, it just hasn't, Turkeys in the east ha- are paranoid. Caught on. And uh, it's like, it's the same thing with the squirrels and the rabbits out west. People are just like, what? The
0: yeah. What? A squirrel out west, he'll hide on the side of the tree. A squirrel in the east is like, no, 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 no. You hide on top of a fat limb, you don't hide on the yeah. side of a tree. Or at the very top <laughs> of the tree, on the last bud that can support me. Yeah. They're like, only a squirrel who was high would hide here. Um, Yeah, that's interesting about that spot. I think a guy a few years ago got scratched up by a grizz who was hunting pheasants. But I would like to be a turkey hunter who got scratched by a grizz hunting turks. I, uh, years ago, was calling turkeys and heard a loud exhale like this. (sighs) Like where I thought a dude had come up and was like exhaling as he looked through my backpack. And I uh, whooped my head around and face-to-face um, face with a bear who come the, <laughs> who's coming into the call. But me turning my head around and looking at him freaked him out more than he freaked me out, man. I think our both of our hearts got kind of like, you know. What kind of bear was it? Black bear. Yeah, all right. But I, yeah, calling turkeys I've called in. Bobcats, coyotes, black bears. My buddy Robert Abernathy was down in New Mexico calling turkeys. He's a South Carolina hunter, but he's in New Mexico calling turkeys. And he looks, and he's on a two-track and belly crawling down the grass strip of the toot track as a mountain lion. Whoa. Huh. Coming into the call. I got a good uh, story of
2: scared bears that I learned while I was up there turkey hunting. This fellow does a lot of work with uh, camera traps, and uh, we we're talking about grouse somehow, and he says, yeah, you ever had just a rough grouse? Just scared the bejesus out of you, right? It seems like it's almost like these Montana rough grouse don't flush quite as hard as the ones oh, back in Wisconsin. Dude, no. We used to walk to the edge edge of just the forest and like, you know, 10 yards away is like where the corn starts. And you'd be walking there and just kind of chilling and daydreaming. And one of those grouse would take off at that edge going into the forest. And you would tell people, oh, yeah, that was a bird that just flushed. And they'd be sitting there looking at you wide eyed, at their heart, beating out of their <laughs> chest, just like, that wasn't a bird. And you tell them how, show them how big it is. And they're like, no, no, no. It was like a herd of deer that just ran off. <laughs> like, no, just a little bird that flew away, you know. But it means loud. Wow. Anyways, he's got a trap set up, camera trap. Yeah, camera Trail trap. Trail cam. And uh, grizzly bear, farting around there, doing something at the rub tree or whatever he had it pointed at. Um, I think he does a lot. Points him at a lot of rub trees, and a uh, ruffy flushes right next to that bear. And he said that that grizzly bear turned inside out. Oh, it scared the shit yeah. out.
0: <laughs> really? Yeah. I know how he feels, man. Yeah. I know how he feels. I got yeah. empathy for that bear. Uh. All right. So, what else, Brad?
2: Well, I want to touch on here. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what else. How? Uh, so you're talking about, like, how do we make like make it like a hot button emotional issue so that people fight mm-hmm. for it, right? And you're saying how like back east people are like, yeah, whatever, man, much land out west. Why do I care? So like, yeah, why, why do? Wh- why, why should they care? They
1: do care. Oh no, they care. In like, some just, ways, they care more. It's just not in the. Uh, you no, know why should care? And and you've been paying for that shit your
0: entire life.
1: <laughs> When yeah. you write your tax, or do you get, or do you pay federal taxes, so you should hang on to it now and go use it. Well, I mean, the easy answer to that question is like, yeah, like, would you give up, you know, 640 million acres of land you owned? No, you wouldn't give up. Even if you didn't know you owned it, like you wouldn't give it up, right? Um, I just don't think it's, it's not an issue that's as, as, as present in their daily lives. It's not on the news as much. It's not like just something they're as aware of. It doesn't mean they don't care. They do care. In fact, folks out of the East, uh, the idea that they would not have—they—they they do care about parks. A lot of folks out of east care about the parks more. Um, so, like the idea that Yellowstone, like that's what resonates for them. It's like, wait a minute, they're gonna take away Yellowstone or like Yosemite? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. that, yeah, that yeah, gets yeah. them like real, real riled up. Um, so it's not that they don't care. I don't want to like make it sound like folks, folks out that you must have a lot of eastern listeners here. So,
0: yeah, but that's that's one of the ways. That's one of the ways, and uh, and I and. I've identified and talked frequently about something I call Yellowstone syndrome, which is like where people like everything they understand about land management and wildlife management and the politics of wildlife is all um, framed around because they hear so much about Yellowstone. Yeah. And it corrupts their view of every other thing. I was just watching a Nat Geo video the other day, and it was about elk migrations. And it's these elk that are going, these elk that, that, Spend a little bit of their time in the summer. Oh,
1: I've seen this, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're all the way over in Cody, yes. Wyoming. Yes. Right. And they spend a little bit of their time yeah. in Yellowstone. And it's like about the Yellowstone elk. Yes. I'm like, well, why is it about the Cody elk? Right. Yeah. No, I know <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, like everything becomes. it's so it's just that place. It, it kind of like troubles me in the way that so many people are just having a really hard time understanding that that is a piece of ground laid into a much larger piece of ground that, that has serious like management issues and wildlife issues that are not just centered on that little patch of space people act like oh if yellowstone's okay everything's okay
1: yeah so but like here's the no I'm, I'm with you on that like the flip side of that is like if your only experience in public land is like if you don't have any experience in public land It's really hard for you to understand what it is and why you should care about it. But if you've been to Yellowstone and you loved it, say you're a a city person um, somewhere and like you've been to Yellowstone twice or whatever you do the National Park Circuit and that's your introduction to public lands. And that's what makes you care about public lands and get angry when somebody tries to take them away from you. I don't think
0: people make the jump. You don't think so? I think they care about about
1: Yellowstone. Oh, that's interesting. That's your theory? I feel that's the case. And they think you think that it's like people think like all wildlife is like a theme park like it is in Yellowstone, and that's like that's I, yeah, part I think of
0: the that, I, I think it contributes to the thing I rail about all the time is people who look at wildlife and they view it as a relic of the past. It's like and it's oh, like you go yeah. to like a museum. It's like Yellowstone's like a little museum where you go to view this like this this remnant relic of the past that doesn't really have any implications or pertain to our lives today.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's. I think but it wouldn't. also does
2: give you at least a baseline than if you were to like, you know, be able to circle back around with those people and say, oh yeah, so you know, you're familiar with this thing called Yellowstone. Well, guess what? There's also like other millions <laughs> yeah. and millions out of acres. Go on the of other acre. side
0: of the road and walk up and it's all the same shit except there's no people there. <sighs> right. 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 Yeah. Go into uh, the Lee Metcalf and it's, it's like your own private Yellowstone. Right. Yeah, and at least that, at that point, then they're kind of like, oh, okay, really?
1: So, because then you don't got to
0: ask a park ranger permission to look the
1: other direction. Now, I'm going to be a heretic for saying this uh, as someone who works for Wilderness Study, but like, I, I'm not like, man, parks are wonderful, um, really great, love the parks, but I'm not like someone who, when I'm picking a place to go, like picks parks to go. Mm-hmm. And I, I just like the whole like theme park experience it's just not my idea of an experience we were joking we were in uh zion that we felt like we should have been getting paid because we were doing some climbing and the buses would drive by and you could see us every day you know and the buses would stop and like i think tourists would get out and like take photos of us like across the canyon you were an attraction we were an attraction and my buddy and i were like we should be getting paid by the damn park service to to entertain these people 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 over here because they're like looking for us to fall down and die you know i feel like you're a climber Uh, Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was like waiting for like I was like I know everyone down there is like I wonder if they're gonna fall today, you know? (laughs) (laughs) This could be (laughs) the day. This could be the day. Everybody, you never know. He might just fall. Everybody, and on your left over here, everybody, get out your cameras. You might be lucky enough to see a climber falling from the cliffs over here. (laughs) So, but yeah, they're different. All right, so,
2: Yanni, Concluders, low elevation wilderness. Can you talk about what uh this is your concluder? Wilderness sorry, concluding question. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm very interested because in Colorado especially where I spend a lot of time living and uh hunting and enjoying public lands is like all that wilderness is, you know, high elevation. Um certainly humans do enjoy it in the wintertime, but you know, not many animals up there in the winter. And then they get, you know, they come out of there and it's all that like winter range is is uh Private. And it seems like it'd be nice if we could have like a nice balance, mm-hmm. you know, high elevation, low elevation. So, is that something that you guys think about is like trying to get more low elevation wilderness? Or is there ever talk of like trading? Because mm-hmm. obviously, these, I think these mountain bikers, are like, man, I just want to ride my bike over that 14,000 foot peak. Yeah. Well, so why don't we just carve off that and like trade it up for a bunch of sagebrush?
0: Down yeah, or a big like a big major riparian area wilderness area. That'd be
1: interesting.
2: So because right, no, it doesn't exist, right?
1: No, that's a that's a very like like cutting question, Yanni. We yeah, talk about it's, it's a lot. Yanni's going. I know, deep, he's, he's going his, super deep. His man. concluder, like, man. You should you should probably have like you could pay you as a consultant to like come like. Just for the big ideas. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, or yeah. I'll, I'll have my guy, Cal, call you and we'll talk <laughs> <to> you. <laughs> we have like, you know, we have a team of scientists who think about this kind of stuff. And yeah, absolutely. Like most of the wilderness in the US is rock and ice. We call it rock and ice. That's a relic of, if you think of uh, areas that are suitable for wilderness are areas that were probably either uh, too difficult to get to um, for like resource extraction or roads, right? And so the, the steep, the rugged country, they don't, you know, it doesn't produce trees as well, harder to get to. Those are the areas that um, present day are either designated wilderness or are still suitable for wilderness, which is why there's a lot of high altitude wilderness.
0: Yeah, because Aldo Leopold, when he proposed the first wilderness area, mm-hmm. was pointing out an area where he said, really, it's greatest value. And at this time, like it's only value, is just in it being wilderness yeah there's no other possible better thing for it and that was kind of like how he sold it yeah and people were like oh yeah it's got a point no one's gonna
1: do shit in there let's make it a wilderness yeah area. that's that, a lot of times i hear people say that it's like yeah it's useless anyway let's just make a wilderness yeah. you know <laughs> i hear that all the he time. turned
0: that. yeah he took that thinking and manipulated <laughs> yeah. it into wilderness areas
1: yeah and, and i did work on the great worked, hunter aldo leopold he's a great hunter um uh, the Hawaii Canyonlands in Idaho, I worked on that. That's a wilderness area in the desert of Southern Idaho. It's like 500,000 acres, 517,000 desert. acres, desert wilderness. Yeah. Um, big lonely desert too. Um, so there is some low elevation wilderness. It's harder because it's also, when you look at just historically the places people homesteaded, they didn't homestead where there wasn't any water. They homesteaded places where they wanted the land with the water because that was you to, you need know for cows or took up the best timber ground. So... Um, uh, it's harder, there are fewer options for lower elevation, but there's quite a bit of like desert suitable wilderness in the US. And it's something we think about all the time is like, how do we diversify the wilderness system so it has a good representation across the board? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, Clearwater country North Idaho, um, good example. Uh, you know, relatively low, it's like inland temperate forest. Uh, I don't know if you spend much time in the clear water, Uh, but you know, big, huge roadless country, lower elevation, a lot of recommended suitable wilderness up there. Hmm. Would be a good addition to the system if for no other reason than there aren't a lot of other ecosystems that are sort of lower elevation, kind of that big cedar country. Yeah, yeah. Um, that thick forest. Um, not a lot of that country is designated wilderness. Um, so we do when we're Looks priori- like Endor on Star Wars. It does, dude. Yeah. There's some cedar groves up there that uh, blew my mind. I'd never seen like you know gigantic cedar trees. Oh, dude, I remember so,
0: driving over from uh, like just crossing over into that stuff. Where you come over the Bid Roots and drop down the other side and um, just feeling like you like feeling like you drove a thousand miles. Yeah. When you hit the other side, you're like, holy shit, this is over here? Yeah. Exactly. I was looking at the other side of the hill for ten years and had no idea, man, you know.
1: <laughs> it feels like you're on the coast. I mean there's a lot yeah, of coastal, coastal species over there too. Tree species. So yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, but like, yes, we think about it. Yes, we work on it. Um, it's hard. Uh-huh. It's hard. Still working on it. Check back in a couple of years and maybe I'll have some better news cool thank you galan that was good um uh
3: boy i i hunt to eat t-shirts uh preferably one that says animal rights activist. that mm. is a hunting themed shirt so i find myself often talking about the conundrum that i appreciate these animals surely more than
0: anyone else oh I got you taking the old turning it around but occasionally man
3: I like to stuff one in the freezer Yeah, sticking it yeah I like it man I I support them more than anybody else steal their name from
0: them absolutely steal their term from them like they did to us that's good what do you think about that Mm -hmm.
3: environmentalist animal rights activist It'll be a new line. Squirrel eater. Sign here. And it could be th- like the X on your conservation license. Yeah. like that. That's good, man.
0: <laughs> That's good thinking.
3: Thanks, Steve.
0: Anything else? You, you can have a bigger concluding thought than that. Oh. I'd categorize that as a joke, offhand joke. Not that oh. you need to have a bigger concluder. No, I... I yeah, we, I mean, we just kind of got
3: to keep an open mind on this uh, different types of use and the fact that, you know, these federally managed lands are managed for everyone. And um, and, and I agree with, with Brad where it's like we got to tug at some heartstrings and open some minds um, and probably vote some folks out of office by bringing new folks into office if we're going to win this public lands battle because it's it's a legit deal and it's um uh, certainly where uh those are public lands are the lands that i appreciate the most you know it's what shaped me for better or worse
0: Hey, has uh ha- has first light have you guys had uh has there ever been like any like big kind of like important kind of blowback for you guys being involved in like advocacy for public lands in the political sphere like in your in your guys home state of Idaho there has not been not no. not that I'm worried no one's of. ever said like what in the world are you boys doing nobody knocked on the
3: door and said oh, yeah you guys
0: forgot to pay these taxes <laughs> 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 so you guys have never had someone say like what what's up what's up with this uh, no we have not i mean truthfully
3: we get uh, feedback constantly I, I mean every every day saying you know, you guys make a great shirt. These guys make a great shirt, but I bought this from you because of what you guys do for public lands. for public lands. So yeah, yeah. so yeah, and for, animal rights and animal rights. <laughs> that's right.
0: Uh, and and I like because you don't do it with all that uh, that sanctimonious goody two shoeism type activism that you associate with Patagonia. <laughs> yeah we're like I, the founder is like a like a he's kind of like a half closeted hunter and you know and yeah it's just like it's, you guys got a good way of doing it well, i appreciate that
3: yeah I, yeah so no there hasn't um you know we, we certainly take uh emails and phone calls and stuff to the negative um seriously and and i try to field all that stuff myself and
0: but generally hunters are like hey man like you guys are, it's it's cool that you guys are making a stand and.
3: Yep. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I've had some real serious conversations um, with folks, especially um, you know, just my personal media stuff. I I spoke up about um, the HR 621, 622, and and definitely had had some people say now what exactly do you mean by this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is great because the thing that I think is dying the most and why I appreciate so much and thank you for uh, asking me to be on these podcasts on occasion is, is the conversation, man. We're losing it. Discourse? Yeah, discourse is That'll, a dying thing. Uh, I
0: like discourse and then I like the other kind of course. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Intra <Start> out. Intra.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, Brad. You got a concluding thought? I'm spent. I got no concluding thoughts. Do, do a pitch for your. Do a pitch for Wilderness Society, man. Tell people. All right. Or you do you do whatever you want? I can. I can do.
1: I'll pitch a bunch of stuff. That's all right.
0: I, I got a concluding thoughts, concluding question. Yeah. You have a two year old? Almost two. Yeah. Almost two. You're married? Hmm. Good. Um. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like to see close, mar- I like to see fellows married, man. Uh, I love being married. Yeah, I like see, I like to see on people. On. I like to see people. I like to see people married. And I like to see them have
1: kids. Best thing I ever did. Yeah. Uh, people are always dogging on marriage, but I'm like, I love too.
0: it. If you, if you dog on marriage, you don't know what you're talking about, man. That's what but I
1: say. The amount of time. It's like
0: people are like, oh, it takes so much time. It's like it saves you so much bullshit that you don't need to be involved in. Totally. I mean, besides all besides all the stuff about like love and all that, which I'm a firm believer in, but just like the noise that it takes out of your life. It's just cost benefit analysis really. He's looking at I me. Mean, I, like, 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 I know what I'm it's like, I know what I'm focused on. I know what's important to me and I know all the junk I don't need to do, like spending all my money in bars. <laughs> Being all hung over all the time, trying to find girlfriends in bars. Yep, that doesn't do any good. Yeah, you no. think I'd be done with my remodel? I had an extra set of hands around. Dude, if you were married, your remodel would have been done within yeah, a month. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's somebody <laughs> keeping you on task. You know? Yeah. If you're like, oh, what's going on? What the? What's these? Uh, what's these beers I heard about? Yeah, you you'd be done with it. Yeah. Uh, someone would be pissed at you until you got done with it. Motivation. And then they'd be happy forever yeah. once I was done. No. No, and then you'd have eternal live. bliss until you died at 85. All right. Um, all right. So, yeah, make, make, uh, tell people uh, what, tell yeah. Me what, what they ought to do. Like, what, uh, if they want um, to be curious,
1: if they're curious about you guys. Um, you yeah. Know. So, uh, uh, I would say a couple things. One is like, pay attention. Don't listen to what your elected officials tell you, pay attention to how they vote because how they vote matters. And if they don't vote... And they'll be sneaky with votes. They will be sneaky with votes. <laughs> don't listen to, like, what's coming out of their mouth, the slick, like, salesman pitch. Like, look at their voting record. It's not hard to do. Um, and then if public lands are something you care about and you vote for somebody that votes against public lands, you ought to think about your values and think long and hard about what's important to you. That's my plea to people.
0: If you want to... Yeah, I wish hunters were as, like... I wish hunters were like, as rigid about that as they are about someone who wants to like curtail your gun rights, Yeah, we'll go after them bad, right? Totally. You should be like, yep. And if you try to curtail my land ownership
1: rights, I'm coming. That's the way I vote. Yeah. So it's like very black and white. Simple. Now you're on public lands. Um, and Wilderness Society, uh, check us out. Check us out on our website. Um, feel free to reach out to me. You can track me down through our website. If you have any questions about what we do, um, or uh, if you need a, if you need that route from last year's death hike, <laughs> I got that too. Yeah, cut to where these, these trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
0: got that. Big Put an bull. X where the big bull is.
1: I am selling that, by the way. Those GPS coordinates. Uh, pretty sure he's safe. Um, oh, can I? I want to bring up something real quick. It's yeah. I kind have of a
0: conundrum. Did you? Now, never mind. I need to find out more before I bring it up. I need to find out more about it. I don't know enough about it to bring it up.
1: All right, uh, can I plug? Can I plug Argali? Is that yeah? Cool? Fuck right. Hell yeah, man! Plug away. <laughs> uh, check us out on uh, if you want to see what we're doing in my uh, hunting world. You can check. out. Where'd that out. name come from? Argali. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, it's just the name of a species that I like. Um, kind of species like of what? Species of sheep. Marco Polo. Where does it live? Uh, mostly in like Middle East. Um. Don't know if I ever get to hunt one. It's on my bucket list. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I like the, the look of the the animal. I like the name, got a nice cadence to it. Yeah. Um, so we named the company after a species. Um, but you can check us out and uh, kind of see some of the uh, our our we have a conservation focused mission, which I think makes that separates us a little bit from pretty much everybody else. It's like everything we do is in service of conservation of of wild public lands. Um, so uh, you can check us out our and. See what we got going on, got As in, like all your profits are going towards that. No, or no, no, no. Like a little bit. We, we, we exist to serve a conservation-focused mission. That means we give money, we give our time. But like everything we're doing, I view it through the lens of: is this furthering our mission to protect wild hunting experiences? If it isn't, it's easy. It's an easy choice. Now we have like an online gear shop. It's like that's a that's where. We carry products people. I think people want to use to go backcountry hunting with, but that is in service of, the way I look at it, is in service of our mission. So that allows us to give money to causes. It allows me to spend more time working on, you know, conservation and wild hunting experiences um we have like you know featured content do some films and stuff all of that is in service of both bringing more people helping people both care about and understand the value of wild places um, through the lens of hunting because i think that's how we're going to get people in the long run to really stand up for them um so what's the website uh argali outdoors.com a-r-g-a-l-i outdoors so a-r-g-a-l-i outdoors Mm -hmm. yeah all right man Brad, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate what you guys do, by the way. This is really cool. Glad you're talking about conservation, public lands. and
0: Oh, we'll keep hammering at it. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Until I get scratched up by a hunting turks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators. Furniture for your living room or bedroom. Even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store. Or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Decked drawer systems. I've always loved decked as is, but it's even better now because they just redesigned their drawer system and storage cases from the ground up. They got the deco case line. These cases are as tough, if not tougher than Pelican case or go boxes, totally waterproof and dustproof. You can literally run over them in your truck and they will be fine. High quality latches and handles make them really easy to use. They look great. They are made in the USA. To check it out, go to decked.com slash meat eater. Get yourself free shipping.